Get the latest news and sports online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> you ready? Yes. It's going to be a good one today. Okay, I'm you, braced. You ready? Here it comes. Go! This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. I'm in a good mood. It doesn't happen very often, so I would suggest make the most of it. It may not last the full run of the show. We'll see. I don't know why I'm in a good mood. I've got a meeting with my bank manager after this. I know. He's not a bank manager. He's a bloke called Barney. I don't think you get bank managers anymore. He's called Barney. Hi, Ian. Do you fancy coming in for a chat? Uh Uh-oh. What have I done wrong? Well, we, we, we shall see. Lots coming up on the show this morning. It'd be nice for you to call in and take part. Do you fancy it? That's kind of how it works. I'll give you the contact details shortly. Some serious stuff and some not-so-serious stuff. On the serious side, the family of a man who was stabbed to death by robbers at his home in Kempston says he was a loving man who'll be missed by everyone who knew him. We'll have the latest on the police appeal in that story. How bright are your kids? Are they clever enough to call 999 if something happened? We'll be hearing about a four-year-old who did just that and saved his mum's life. That's right, a four-year-old. I'm fighting with my three-year-old to stop him weeing out in the front garden and this four-year-old's going around saving lives. And you're sitting in a restaurant, expecting a nice meal. The waiter's rude, the food's cold and you don't get what you ordered. If you get bad service, do you complain? Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR... You can send me a cheeky text, 81333, start your text, 3CR. Or you can give me a phone call, it's always the best way to get in touch, isn't it? 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459 is the telephone number. The family of a man who was stabbed to death by robbers at his home in Kempston says he was a loving man who'll be missed by everyone who knew him. Sharif Demir says, uh, uh, sorry, Sharif Demir say was attacked by three men in front of his partner two weeks ago. Well, we'll hear from his granddaughter Nina Gill later in the programme. But first, DCI Tim Redfern from the Bedfordshire Major Crime Unit has been telling our reporter Simon Watts about the investigation. This is a full-blown murder investigation with... with all the resources that I can muster from the major crime in it, which involves um, a large team back at Huntingdon who work on what we call the major incident room, so they input all this data for us that we're gathering. And then I've got another uh, investigative team, so another arm of that team, if you like, working here in Kempston, going out doing the house-to-house inquiries, um, with the addition of my forensic team and, and, and all the other people that back up the forensic uh, work that's going on. You've renewed your appeal today why have you done that well um the main reason is we need information from the public and it's really just to to, to make that um, appeal to people who may think that we've we've solved this this case already which we haven't and uh we we urgently need people to call in with any information they've got and that's the purpose of today's press conference We heard from Sharif's granddaughter, Nina, today. She described him as a loving family man. Are you any closer to unearthing what the motives were for such a brutal murder? No, I mean, as I've said um, previously, I'm keeping an open mind about this. Um, 
we have released the fact that money was stolen and some jewellery was stolen uh, in, in, the, in the attack. Um, but I'm not, as I've said before, convinced that is the reason for this, um, this attack, uh, the robbery, that is. Uh, gold jewellery was stolen. It was quite high value, so we've got some Cara bracelets, gold, 22-carat gold uh, Indian jewellery, some necklaces and some um, rings, and £1,000 cash. But the level of violence that was used by these people to... Um, to relieve this elderly couple of that just seems disproportionate to me and I can't believe that's solely the motive. You mentioned before that there was an early arrest, but do you feel that... Are you confident that there are people out there that have information but have yet to come forward? Yes, I am. Um, I believe that there, there will be someone out there who hasn't yet phoned us who perhaps thinks, oh, well, I'll just wait a bit longer because the police will, will get there in the end. And the bottom line is... We rely on people giving us information mainly to detect crime and um, you know, I'd ask those people or that person if you have your suspicions about anybody or you actually know one of these three or all three of the people that are involved in this, please don't just assume we will get there in the end. Um, we need your help and please call it in. Is there any concern that until these people are found something like this could happen again? Uh, there is always a concern that, that people, particularly people that have used this level of violence um, on innocent members of the public, um, will strike again. There is always that concern. Um, there's nothing to suggest that this is any sort of a series of attacks. We've, we can't link any other uh, previous attacks like this. Um, but that is also something, uh, of course, that I have to bear in mind. And finally then, if anybody listening right now does feel they have information or, or know somebody who may have some information, uh, what are the ways in which they can get in touch? Yes, well, um, in the first instance, they can call the instant room and we've got uh, people on the phone there on the following number, which is 01480 422 791. Or they can call 101 and just report uh, to the operator there or if they want to call Crime Stoppers anonymously, they can do that. That was our reporter, Simon Watts, speaking to DCI Tim Redfern. And later on in the show, we'll be speaking to Sharif's granddaughter, Nina Gill, and finding out how his murder has affected the family. I quite like that. I'm not a fan of the dark genre. If you uh, were listening last week, or was it the week before? The week before, we had um, the Penny Arcade, uh, an excellent vocal group, come in and did an Acapulco version of that. I thought it meant they'd take their clothes off. It doesn't. It means that they do it sans instrument, as they say dans la Française. 08459 455 555. Now, here's the thing, OK? You're in a shop, and there's an idiot serving you. They generally are. Not always. Uh, and you're not getting the service that you're expecting. Maybe been a bit rude or they're on the phone as they are. You go into a grocer's, they're always on the telephone or a petrol station, they're on the phone. Hang on a second, sorry. Could you put the phone down and serve me? I've actually said that before. In my head. Uh, or you're in a restaurant and the food's cold, the waiter's a bit of an idiot and it, it's not going well. Now, do you complain? If you don't get good service, do you complain or do you do what I tend to do I kind of just sit there fuming and um, uh, and hours later after I've left think of all the things I should have said. 
I had a complaint with a, a pizza delivery service here in Luton recently, and I kind of pursued it on Twitter and emails a bit. And then when I had to, I was requested to phone up and verbalise my complaint. I couldn't do it. I know I sound like a cocky so and so, and you think I'm complaining at everything. I can't do it in real life. I'm terrible. Before I met my wife, if I bought something and it didn't fit or it broke, I would throw it away. I know. And my wife caught me doing this. She said, "Well, you d- t- take it back." I said, oh, "I can't." Take it back. Could you do it for me? Yes. And she does. So, do you complain if you don't get the service that you think you deserve? 08459 455555. What a strange world we live in. For many reasons. But I'm number one in the... I've got a podcast of the show, okay? And it's now available on iTunes. You can go to the iTunes, you type in Ian Lee, BBC, it pops up. Number nine in the general podcast chart, which is excellent. Thank you so much. Number one, not in the comedy section of the iTunes uh, um, podcast chart. No, 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 no. Not registering in that. I'm number one in news and politics. I, I can now say officially I am number one in news and politics. In your face, all other news and politics-based podcasts is me. It's not a particularly newsy or politicky show, uh, so don't let that put you off. Do go and uh, go to iTunes and uh, type in Ian Lee, I-A-I-N-L-E-E, BBC, and it will pop up. We'll see if we can get it transferred a bit later on. Now, this is a cracking story. A four-year-old boy. How clever is your kid? If you've got toddlers, how clever are they? If you collapsed and your life was in danger, would they be able to call 999 and save your life? Well, one four-year-old boy from Milton Keynes has been praised by the ambulance service for making a 999 call which saved his mum's life. We're going to hear the call that Maddox Shearer made now. And they're screaming partway through. That's his younger sister who's also in the house, OK? And don't panic. This ends happily. Hello? What's your name? Nugget. OK. How old are you, Nugget? Four. Four? OK. Tell me what's happened to Mummy. She hurt her leg. How she hurt her leg? She, she has kidneys. She's got kidneys? Yeah. Okay. Is there something wrong with her kidneys or has she hurt her leg? Something wrong with her kidneys. Okay. Don't hang yeah. up. Are you there on your own? Here is Mummy. Okay. Okay, Nugget. Now I'm going to ask you some questions. Is Mummy there? Can she talk to me? Yeah. Yeah? Can I talk to Mummy? into you, okay? Yeah, their dad's on his way home. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Look, listen, I've got... 
Listen, I, I've got an ambulance right outside, okay? Can you go and try and open the door? I can't get up. Okay. Don't worry. Listen, is, um, is it Nugget his name? Maddox. Maddox, oh, sorry. Is, is he able to unlock the door? Yes, Maddox, open the door. Okay, tell him to tell me if there's a big ambulance outside. Maddox, is that an ambulance? Oh, open the door. You've done really well, okay. Has he opened the door? Let me know when the ambulance is right with you. Is that them? Okay. Thank you, Cheers, mate. Thank you. Cheers, bye. Wow, isn't that amazing? Shivers down my spine. Four-year-old Maddox. I love the fact she's called Nugget. If I, if I ever have another boy, calling him Nugget, definitely. So, do you, do you think your kids, your grandkids, would have been able to do that at four? I think that's amazing. On the line now is Ben Stickley, who's the Senior Services Manager for the Red Cross, covering beds, hearts uh, and Essex. Morning, Ben. That's, that's an amazing phone call, isn't it? Good morning, absolutely. Yes, it's quite incredible what he was able to do there, really. Are there any other examples of, of, of kids that age being able to help? Uh, well, probably the closest one that I've come across when I've been training is uh, a girl of six who was able to help her mum in a very similar situation. She had a, a long-term illness and collapsed at home and was able to call the ambulance and get them uh, help arriving for her. What sort of training do you offer to young people? Uh, well, we do quite a lot of training for young people, and that often surprises people, actually. Uh, it tends to be for about the age of five that, that we start, because we go into a lot of primary schools and work with people. Um, but you can certainly teach um, children that age how to call an ambulance and the importance of the information to give over um, and the huge difference that it could make to their parents or family if they're able to help in a situation like that. And you can even teach them things like uh, the recovery position and the very basics, just how to roll someone over and help them keep breathing. I'm trying to think. We had a young lad uh, who came in a few months ago who I think was about six, and uh, he knew the recovery position. He put me in the recovery position. He was fantastic. They do take this thing. If you make it fun, they take this in, don't they? And they, they can use it. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's one of the key things for us. It's about uh, getting them to really enjoy it, but also to see the importance of it. Um, and, yeah, if you get lots of practice, you know, lots of information given, uh, it definitely does stick. And it, it really is amazing when a child that young will turn around and say, oh, yeah, I can do that. And they'll mm. even show their friends how to do it. What age would you recommend um, teaching kids 999? Um, well, for us, it, we really say it's around about five is when it sticks really well. Obviously, in this case, Maddox at four was, was brilliant and able to do it. Um, but um, I think it's probably very useful to say that at the moment we've just launched a free first aid uh, app for baby and child, and it includes tips within it on how to teach children that young first aid. Oh, fantastic. Uh, well, what, what, if we're looking for that on our phones and, and pads and things, what do we have to type in to find it? Uh, if you do baby and child first aid, it's on the App Store or also on Android, um, so people are you know, very much welcome to download that. It is free, and hopefully it could be used to them. Ben, I appreciate your time this morning. That's Ben Stickley, Senior Services Manager for the Red Cross, covering uh, beds, hearts and Essex. Well, listen, I I know it's unlikely. If you've got a story like that of a a youngster in your family uh, calling 999, getting the police, getting the fire brigade, whatever they did, I'd love to hear it. I know it's unlikely. And I think Maddox, or Nugget, as I'm going to call him for the rest of the show now. I love that. You're right, Nugget. (laughs) I love it. Uh, I think it's unlikely we're going to find anyone uh, as young as Maddox who did that. 08459 455 555. My boy's three and a half. I'm fighting with him to stop him going out in the front garden and doing a wee on the, on the plants. 
I had a big fight with him last night. I'm going to play him that tape and um, let him hear what he should be aiming for. And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at 7 o'clock. Hey, up, Nugget! <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the, the best name ever? When she first said it, the, uh, the lady on the 999 service, I thought, oh, you silly sausage. But now <laughs> I'm thinking, that's a brilliant name. It's quite cute, isn't it? Yeah. Can I call you Nugget from now on? No. Oh. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. Very disappointing. Uh, morning, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. If you don't know what we're talking about, we'll play it again later. It's the, the amazing uh, call of a four-year-old boy, Maddox, uh, calling 999 and saving his mum's life. It's incredible. Coming up in the next 30 minutes, it's a year since the Portus scheme was launched, where money was given to small towns to help revitalise them. Has it had any effect whatsoever? 08459 455 555. But before any of that, Dennis in Dunstable. Good morning, Dennis. Good morning. Would you like to say a many happy returns of the day to start with, please? Uh, I'm 88 today. I, I, I would not. Thank you very much. Thank you for the offer. You're a little lad. Are you're you really 88 years old? Yes. Wowzers. What yes, I know it's terrible, isn't it? What? What? what why? Um, and, and I, I nearly said, "What are you clinging on to?" I didn't mean. No, I didn't mean that. Well, what? No, I didn't mean that at all. Looking back over your eighty-eight years, Dennis. Yes. What's What's the best age to be? Every age. Oh, because after God all, sakes. the alternatives on the alternatives not worth talking about, is it? Yeah, you're You're absolutely right. When? Will you shut up? Okay, so I think she's going to shut up, Dennis. This little lad. Yes, this little lad. Who, when? Will you shut up? Yeah, okay, I think Wayne is shut up now, Dennis, so that's uh, good. Okay, yes, go. Uh, right. The little lad who wants to wean the garden, he's obviously going to be a, f- a fanatic gardener. This is my boy. He's, he's yeah, three and a half. Right. He keeps weeing uh, out in the front garden. Well, years, years ago, when I was in the Navy, living in married quarters, right next door to me was a chap, would you believe his name was Flower, Ronald Flower. We used to call him Blossom. Now, his, he collected his wee-wee of his little daughter every day. Why did you now, call him Blossom? Because his name was Flower. Was it was it because he looked like the girl Blossom no, in the TV no, series? No, it's just one of those navy things, you know. You oh. call. Oh, I see, Blossom Flower. Sorry, then. Yes, uh, right. Yes, now he right. collected. Go. His, and I'm a non total non gardener. Okay. Total non gardener. Okay. And they put me right next to the best gardener on the estate. Okay. So he's, he used to collect his little little daughter's whittle in a pot, and Sorry? he used to go round watering the garden. Dennis, listen, yeah? you're not having birthday hijinks with me, are no, you? No, I'm, t- I'm kidding, because he was, a, he was a fanatic, and his plants in his garden were ten times better than mine. When? Will you shut up? Okay, well, I, think she, I think she will shut up now, Dennis. I think <laughs> she's got the message. So he would collect his daughter's wee-wee... Yes. And pour it on the plants. No, no, very carefully, all round the edge of, the, of his garden, and his plants were much, much better than. I thought that uh, urine was toxic for plants. Oh, no, it's not. It's, it's natural. It's natural fertilizer. Do you know? I can see how this the whole show is going to be about wee wee on plants now. I just, That's I just, right. I just <laughs> felt the shift in the atmosphere. I thought, uh, was he not doing it to keep foxes away and cats no, away? No, but because on top of that. Part of the, the squadron he worked in, the manager, was manager of the local brewery. And he sent five big bags of hops that had come out of the brewery. Yeah. And scattered those on his garden. So his garden was about three or four inches higher than mine. Yes. You know, the, in depth. So he got, he, got, he got an extra four inches because of his daughter's wee-wee? No, well...
well, all that, yes. Uh, that and this hops as well. I mean, could you imagine wee wee and the smell of beer together? Oh, jeez. <laughs> did he stand underneath her with a with a pot and catch it? No, no. She was a little girl who used to use in the potty. You know. Okay, well, that's um. So train him to do that, yep. and I'll tell you, you will have the best best garden in the world. If you want, do you have a garden now, Dennis? I do, but it's nothing to do with me. It's my wife's garden. I'm what? allowed to walk across it. Well, do you listen? I don't mind. Um, I would. I, oh. I won't. I'm not going to go out and do it. Well, how about how about I capture my boy's urine? Yes, and I send it to your win, and she can use it. Yes, right. Yes. Would you, would yes. you like that? I would do. Yes. It, would it come in a bottle, please? Well, I'll, I'll put it in a jiffy bag. <laughs> jiffy bag. <laughs> Happy birthday, Dennis! Same to you. Ta-ta. Well, we're getting all kinds of uh, uh, contact from you about Wee Wee in the Gardens. I'm number one in the news and politics podcast, for goodness sakes. Gordon in Wellin says his dog used to cock his leg up and wee all over his rhubarb. It was the best in town, but he never told his neighbours the secret. I used to work with Ricky Gervais, it's come to this. Urine was bad for for flowers. It poisoned the flowers. We need a gardener. Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. We'll be talking about bad service shortly. But before that. A year on from the launch of the Mary Portas pilot scheme, BBC Three Counties Radio has learnt there's been a fall in the number of retailers in Bedford. The town was one of 12 across the country to receive around £50,000 of government funding to revive its high street. But during the, the past 12 months, 17 stores in Bedford have closed. Our reporter, Simon Watts, has been to the town. Well, how and why the government's Portas pilot spending is being invested was always going to be an opinion divider. We've heard both good and bad feedback from Hatfield's rather unique portable stage. Whilst here in the centre of Bedford, the lion's share of investment has been made on trying to strengthen current local businesses and also to help those starting up. It's come in the form of free training courses that have been running throughout the year and on the 27th of July there'll be a high street showcase event which will do, as it says in the title, showcase the variety of shops and retailers in the centre of the town. Courses here have ranged from how to make the best use of websites and social media and window dressing. These have all come at the request of businesses in Bedford. Leaflets and postcards were made up to promote the town earlier this year whilst empty shops on the high street have been wrapped to make them more attractive. But unfortunately, the figures we've received show that there are 17 unoccupied units in Bedford from stores that have closed in the last year. Of the 558 businesses, 98 have closed and 81 reopened. Though it is reflective of the picture nationwide and that perhaps the rewards of the Mary Porter's investment won't be seen immediately. Of the 12 towns to receive investment... 10 have seen a fall in the number of occupied shops. Simon Watts reporting. Well, meanwhile, in Hatfield, £27,000 has been invested on a portable stage to be used to host live music in the town centre. But as our reporter Sophie Solaria discovered, not everyone has been impressed with the way the money has been spent. We didn't even know it was here. We've just come to the shop, so it's news to me. How often do you come to the town? Every day. And you hadn't seen it advertised? No, nowhere. Have you seen it? Well? No. Not at all. But it's, it's nice to see that people are bringing things into the area, but if it was publicised more, a load more people we would have turned up. made an afternoon of it then, if you'd like. It's not worth the money, I don't think, to be honest. Yeah, it's interesting about the stage. Do you think it's a good use of money? No. 
as a musician, no. Because uh, it's needed for other things, really. And it could have been done with a smaller stage or just a little stage. You only need a little portable stage. It's very good, but it's just the shame that there's not more people here to, and the sun's not out. Why do you think there are no people here? Well, we, we know about it because I work with somebody who's been uh, performing today, so... Uh, I haven't seen any advertisements, though. There was one banner when we were coming over here, walking down here, but apart from that, I haven't really seen much about it. I didn't even know it was advertised. I haven't seen it advertised, rather. I didn't even know Actually, it was on. Actually, wouldn't it have been better to have had it last weekend, bank holiday weekend? I don't people come to Hatfield, basically, because there's nothing to keep them here apart from listening to that. They can listen to that and then go to the shops, but they don't really come here because there's nothing, nothing here, is there? So... You're not exactly excited oh, about it. Red, love. You're Hatfield born and bred. Yeah, Where could that £27,000 have gone? Towards getting this bloody town sorted out. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah. Or in the kids' won, parks. If I win the lottery, you know, if I won the lottery, you know, so many million, I'd just go to the council and say, forget it, I'm developing Hatfield yeah. town. <laughs> I'll do you it know, for you. I'll do it for you. My name's Kushby Kamda and the shop's called Beach Arm Limited. Did you know that this concert was going to happen today? We weren't aware, no. We, no, we weren't even informed. Like, we thought normally when there's something going on in the middle, we normally get a notice or something, um, mm. but we, we didn't know, but it's a pleasant surprise. Yeah. <laughs> to get people down to Hatfield Town Centre is, is quite hard. So, I mean, definitely more advertising, because we weren't aware as shop owners, even getting student, students down from the uni, advertising in the uni. You're, you, you run a card shop not far from the town centre. Um, have you seen an increase in trade this morning since the concert started at 12? Today, no, definitely not. 27,000, a lot of money. Personally, I think that was money wasted. Sophie Solaria reporting there. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, a 15-year-old from Welling Garden City is determined to raise £10,000 for charity by climbing over the O2 Stadium. Oh. Georgia Ormrod was diagnosed with a life-threatening brain tumour in 2009. Now, after three years of fighting the cancer, Georgia wants to give something back to the charity which helped her while she was ill, with the help of Florence and the Machine. Our reporter, Sophie Solaria, went to meet Georgia and her dad, Stephen, ahead of her challenge on Friday. Here's her story. I met Florence in 2010 and ever since she's kept in touch. She's put a video on YouTube for us wishing Georgia good luck. Uh, hi, I'm just here to wish a very amazing girl who I met a few years ago through the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Her name's Georgia and she is going to be walking me O2 for the Ellen MacArthur Trust. And I'm incredibly proud of her and I wish her the best of luck. Lots of love to you, Georgia. Why do you love Florence so much? I like her music and... I kind of liked her craziness. Do you remember your teacher had moved you from a pen to a pencil at school? Yeah. Because she'd noticed that her writing had become a little mm. less tidy. Mm. So George was just taking more time to make it really tidy. So it just became very hard to diagnose. It took about six months to diagnose me. Um, Georgia had a lot of headaches and it's very common for them to be misdiagnosed and for people to miss particularly brain tumours in children. We kept being told it was was just headaches or migraines or stress or all sorts of things but I think most parents know their children pretty well 
and we knew it wasn't. So it was every night just going to A&E and sitting and waiting and being seen again and being sent away again and literally going two nights later and saying, we're not happy, until they said, OK, look, we'll do some scans. It's a parent's instinct to know. Yeah. You know, when you first have children, you're told you will know your children better than anybody else. Um, I think that's what, a really good piece of advice, because we did and we knew it wasn't, it wasn't right. I couldn't relate to anything after my cancers. But Georgia was blind and mute, and, and you couldn't move your arms or legs. And then gradually you got your sight back and your eyes started working. Speech therapies and all sorts of things. And now, as you can hear, Georgia talks pretty well, don't you? Well, I just feel it's kind of a necessity to kind of walk and do everything. What kind of things have you been doing to get better? Rock climbing and abseiling. Wow. You are just an incredible young girl, aren't you? You've also decided to take on a particularly difficult challenge, crossing the roof of the O2 Arena. Yeah, because we're so influenced there and I really wanted to challenge myself to go over it one day. How tall is the O2? I think it's about 50 metres tall. Now that's a petrifying, petrifying height. George, are you scared? Never had any fear since my cancer. You're not frightened of anything, are you? Well, there you go. That was Sophie Solaria. I, I wouldn't be uh, climbing this up of the O2. It's massive. Have you seen that? Uh, that was Sophie Sarah speaking to Georgia and her dad, uh, Stephen. Listening to that is Dan from the Ellen MacArthur Cancer Trust, the charity for which Georgia is raising money. Uh, Dan, uh, tell us a little bit about your charity and what it does. Morning, Ian. Uh, yeah, our, our charity is a, um, a countrywide charity. We actually, we're based on the Isle of Wight, and we work with young people from the age of 8 to 24-year-olds, uh, taking them sailing in the recovery of cancer. Uh, why, why did Georgia choose your charity as the one she wanted to raise money for? Um, Georgia's an incredible, incredible young lady. I think um, what we've actually done with Georgia, work-wise, is we've actually taken Georgia um, on, a, on a, initially a four-day trip sailing with us, and we've worked with Georgia ever since. And I think one of the main things we do as a charity is actually work with young people, not just in the, in the first instance, once they're actually out of the initial treatment, but all the way through. And I, I think that what it creates is a, a bit of a family atmosphere and also uh, a, a huge sort of rebuilding of confidence between all the young people that come on the trips together. And what, I'm assuming as well there are kind of physical uh, benefits to someone who's been in George's position in terms of rehabilitation. Yeah, huge amounts. I mean, people don't really think about sailing as a, uh, a particularly active sport because lots of people spend their time sat on their bums. Um, but when you're actually on a yacht, your whole body's working because the, the waves and um, the environment around you is actually moving all the time. So your, your core is actually working quite a lot. So um, I think in, in more respects than um, just kind of uh, hanging out with other young people that have had the same experiences, their bodies are constantly working without really mad about it. And Dan, how did you find out that Georgia was going to be climbing the O2 and what was your, your initial reaction? Uh, we got some contact through the family um, and for us it's actually incredible. I think a lot of the young people that work with us um, try and do things to help the trust out once they're finished a couple of trips with us. Um, but I think for someone like George, it's an immense challenge. I think it would be a huge challenge for myself, let alone uh, let alone someone in, in George's position. But I think... Um, Overall, as a trust, we're absolutely um, in awe of, of, of Georgia. Really. You, now, listen, Dan, you've not bullied her into doing this, have you? Never. Are you never, sure? Never, 
No, if anything, Georgia would bully us into doing it with her. Okay, good. Well, Dan, that's enough. <laughs> Thank you so much for going on. That's Dan uh, uh, Taylor from the Ellen MacArthur Cancer Trust. If you want to give money to uh, to Georgia, if you want to sponsor her or give money towards the charity, you can do. Very simple uh, little website, virginmoneygiving.com, virginmoneygiving.com forward slash Stephen Ormrod, Stephen P-H, Ormrod, O-R-M-O, let me do that right, I'm going to spell it, let me spell it properly, S-T-E-P-H-E-N. O-R-M-R-O-D. Why did I find that so difficult? VirginMoneyGiving.com forward slash Stephen Ormrod. 08459 Oh, no, we don't want Adele. We want Adam Glynn. There he is. News for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. Speech in 15 minutes. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Three minutes past seven, it's Wednesday. The weather's a little bit better than it was yesterday. Wasn't it miserable? And I was stuck on the M25 for an hour yesterday. Oh, the joys, for an hour. Stuck in the pouring rain on the M25 for an hour. And I was thinking, this is it, boy, this is it. You're living the dream. Lots coming up on the show. Between now and nine o'clock, including the family of a man who was stabbed to death by robbers at his home in Kempston, say he was a loving man who'll be missed by everyone. We'll have the latest on the investigation into that murder and speaking to the gentleman's granddaughter. Is your four-year-old son or your granddaughter clever enough to call 999 if there was an emergency? Oh, we'll hear the story of one young lad who did just that and probably saved his mum's life. And customer service. If you don't get the service you think you deserve, do you complain? Do you kick off? Or are you like me? You just walk away tutting quietly. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send me a text 81333. Start your text 3CR or you can give me a call 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. The family of a man who was stabbed to death by robbers at his home in Kempston says he was a loving man who'll be missed by everyone who knew him. Sharif Demersay was attacked by three men in front of his partner two weeks ago. While well, speaking to reporters at Bedfordshire Police Headquarters, his granddaughter Nina Gill described him as a gentleman with a very kind heart. A very passionate person, um, just a kind heart. I remember every time we'd go round to see him, all us girls, and to give us a big kiss each cheek. And a massive hug, like a bear hug, and we'd have to scream and shake him off. Um, Just all round a very generous, kind, warm person. I mean, would never have anything bad to say about anyone, was never involved in any conflicts, nothing like that, which is why what has happened has been such a shock, you know? Was he really popular? Did he have lots of friends? Um... When he would come to London, he would, like, he'd go into, like, all his kebab shops and have his Turkish friends where he'd like to sit and play his sars with them and eat his, like, his food that he loved. Um, and, yeah, popular amongst his neighbours in town, very friendly person. Even if you didn't know him, he'd always have something to say. But, yeah. And how has it affected the family? How has the last couple of weeks been? Oh, it's not been real. It feels like... I'm out of body and I'm experiencing something that's a complete and total nightmare, to be honest. 
Um, the family hasn't been taking it well. Obviously, the circumstances of how this has happened, nobody would. Um, it's very horrific, and my grandmother's devastated as a we. Um, I don't think any of us will actually ever come to terms with this, but we'll be at a bit of peace if we know we've got justice for Sharif. What would you say if there's somebody out there who knows who did this? I would say if they do know who has done this and if they are aware of any information that they come forward, I mean, put yourself in our situation. This could happen to anyone, evidently. You never think it's going to be you. And if these guys are still out there and the extent to what they've done, they are very much not shy of doing it again, the way I see it. We're a very close family. Oh, yeah, very close. I mean, if we hadn't seen each other within a week, everyone would be on the phone to each other. We are a very close-knit family. Just describe to me once more what your, what your grandfather was like as a person. Just a lovely, kind, warm-hearted person. Um, very generous. I mean, always like to have a chat and like to know what's going on. Would never want to get off the phone to you. Would go on and talk about everything. Um, just a lovely person. I can't see why anyone would want to do this. Just, just don't know. And he's left a large, a large, large imprint on our hearts and. That's all we have, the memories, and what we had with him, I guess. That's Nina Gill, the granddaughter of murdered Sharif Dimir Say. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Hey, it's the one-year anniversary of the Mary Porter's big plan to rejuvenate the high street. Here in the Three Counties, both Hatfield and Bedford received government funding. But the BBC has learned that in the past 12 months, 10 of the 12 towns to benefit from the investment have seen a fall in the number of retailers. In Bedford, 17 stores have closed without opening again. So, independent shops on the high street of Bedford are benefiting from free courses to help their business. But what about some of the areas who missed out on the Porter's pilot funding? Justin Daly is in Dunstable this morning. Morning, Justin. Yes, hello, Ian. Dunstable's had our major problems with its high street, and they unfortunately missed out on funding last year. Um, I've been asking people in the town here for their thoughts on the high street, and this is what they had to say. Is there any hope for Dunstable High Street? No, none at all. Everything's closing down. The industrial estate's closing down. It's just nothing here at all now. Digitable. Because it is dead. There's nothing. Everything that opens closes down. It's just the only thing that's like Asda. That's about it, really. Nothing else. Even if Dunstable got further funding, do you think there would still be no hope? If it was funded and looked after better than what it is, then yeah, there would be. Because the majority of people don't like Luton, and I don't like going into Luton's shop. I prefer to come to Dunstable to shop. Mm. At the end of the day, it just needs to pick itself up because it's lost too much. Deadstable. That's what well, it is. There's nothing. There's nothing on the high street. There's, what, Argos, a couple of other bits and pieces. There's nothing. It's such a nice place, Dunstable. I don't want to see it die. No. But the I... high street itself, is that an embarrassment to local people? I think it is, yeah. Well, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I think it's all down to the, uh, the rent and the rates that they can't afford to pay. There don't seem to be any leeway from the councils. They don't help. That's my opinion. I, th- I think... Asda has more or less killed the smaller shops. Ros, how would you describe Dunstable High Street? Dead. That's it, one word, dead. 
It, there's no individual little shops left. We've got a few that come in, but they don't stay open that long because there's no footfall through the town because of parking problems. I'd love to speak to you, dear listener, if you live in Dunstable. Uh, J- Justin, you use the phrase deadstable there. Yes, uh, somebody used that phrase um, yesterday. I said, can you repeat that again, deadstable? And they're saying it's called that because, quite simply, there is nothing left on the high street in Dunstable as far as they are concerned. I know you've got a guest there. We'll come to that very quickly. Just li- if you do live in Dunstable, how do you feel about that, being called deadstable? 08459 455 555. Now, Justin, you're with the former mayor of Dunstable, aren't you? I am indeed. That's uh, Pat Staples who now joins us live across Beds, Hearts and Bucks. So, Pat, um, welcome to the programme. First of all, do you think we're going to find anybody who's going to phone up and say, I love Dunstable High Street? Are we going to find those people? Yes, I think you are. I think there are many people out there, mainly volunteers, that really work hard to see Dunstable come alive again. We have got potential. I understand what people are saying about the the High Street. It is dirty. It doesn't look nice. But please, please look beyond the High Street. We have, as you know, we lost the Mary Porter's bid. Very disappointed, had huge potential there. We have our last high street store that closed, and we had the opportunity of taking that on and make it to incubated stores for young people people or whatever that wanted to start small retail units up the owner which was the it didn't close because it wasn't any good those because the owner died but her husband was so supportive of the scheme that we really thought we were in with a good chance as you know we didn't get it but we did get a consolation prize of ten thousand. as soon as we knew we were getting that money we put a splinter team together from the joint committee to see what we could do every penny i think is 304 pounds left which is being implemented at the moment so we did the best we could. We've used coloured vinyls for empty shops, which we can't avoid because we don't own them. But the biggest thing is, please hang on. January starts the northern section of the bypass. Once that starts, we then can get a lorry ban and Dunstable can come back. So you think there is still hope for Dunstable? And be honest here, what's your thoughts on Mary Porter? I know that you were quite angry you missed out on the funding, but what's your thoughts on her? Well, quite frankly, I wasn't angry. I was disappointed. But Mary Porter's, sorry, don't have a lot of time for. Mary was telling the government I could have told them free. She talked about enhancing your markets, bringing boot fairs into them. What does she think we've been doing for the last ten years? and very strongly in the last year since Dunstable Town Council has taken over the market. We are already doing those things. Mm. Nothing is ever going to be easy. We shop online. Whose fault is that? Ours. We have to look at what we have. Our greatest asset is our history. We've just had 800-year celebration of the Priory Church. Huge amounts of people. We had... We had doctors of, of medieval times. You name it, it was there. Fantastic day. OK, let me ask you this finally. Um, Bedford and Hatfield, uh, they got the funding ahead That's of Dunstable. Right. In Bedford, in the last year, 17 shops have closed since they got that funding. Very briefly, what's your reaction to that? Well, I'm absolutely shocked. All I can say is, did they not have mentors to train these people to retails? We even have mentors for market traders that want to start. I don't think they've done their homework right. Hugely disappointed. Wish we'd had the money. We'd certainly put it to good use. OK, thank you very much for your time. There you go. That's the uh, former mayor of Dunstable, Pat Staples, joining us live. And uh, some interesting views there from Pat Ian. Justin, thank you very much indeed. You did hear the phrase uh, deadstable uh, uh, used there. If you live in Dunstable, do you agree with that? Do you think, yeah, it's, uh, I've been to Dunstable and um, it wasn't bustling, shall we say. But as a resident of Dunstable, are you offended by the, the, the use of the word deadstable? It's quite catchy, isn't it? Is it accurate, though? 08459 455 555. Give me a call if, if you agree with that. Or if you want to defend... Oh, here comes a cup of tea. Stop the show. A cup of tea. Thank you, Kelly Betts. It's nice to have you back from your holiday. 
Yeah. Okay, there we go. You, you just saw behind the curtain there for a second. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you live in Dunstable or you work in Dunstable or you, you, you go there, what do you think? Is it Dunstable? We heard the former mayor speaking, saying, well, listen, bear with us. Bear with us. In a little while, we'll be able to make some changes and we can, we can bring, bring it back from the dead. Is that possible? Is it too late? 08459 455 555. Is Dunstable better called Deadstable? You can go to facebook.com forward slash bbc3cr. You can send me a text, 81333. Start your text 3CR and include your name, please. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. We're just talking about Dunstable. It's got a new nickname, Deadstable. Is that appropriate? Do you think that's a bit harsh? Well, Matt's from Luton. Morning, Matt. Morning. Matt, morning. What do you think about Dunstable? Well, I went to Dunstable yesterday and it was very wet. And it was an absolute ghost town. Well, the wetness we can't blame on yeah, Dunstable, can we? But we can blame Luton Council. They have got to cut the rates completely. Get shops back. This Mary, I call her Mary Poppins. Mary Cuckoo Land, she is. She's on about doing putting retail back on its feet. Yes. But she hasn't got a clue. She's in cuckoo land. Well, she, uh, in fairness, she helped decide which places would get the money. And then it was up to those the local committees um, to decide what to do with the money. But they didn't get enough money. 50 grand When, when, when Sainsbury's was in Dunstable, Dunstable was booming. They should have kept Sainsbury's at Dunstable. I worked in Marsh Road. I had a butcher shop in Marsh Road. And it was the same park and all this. Now, Lidl's are in, in, in Marsh Road, and the place is booming because of parking. It, the main thing is to the council. They've got to cut the rates. They've got to cut a cap on rents and help the, help the actual traders. You don't realise, people don't realise, you stand in a shop for three hours not taking any money, and your heart is breaking. Oh, I bet. I, I bet it's always it, 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 It's People doesn't realise, and I love going into shops, small shops, and supporting them rather than the big stores. Big stores are a waste of time. Well, hang on a second, Matt. You're just saying you wanted Sainsbury's and Little to be in Dunstable. It, well, Little's, Sa- Little's are... But you see, all the same, you go, yeah. as this too far away from the main centre. So you want a big you want a big shop there, but you don't you like want, the big shops. At least one big store. Okay. But... It will help the little stores, but the rates are too high. Matt, one, one final quick question. Uh, you heard uh, our reporter, Justin Dealey, use the phrase deadstable. Do you think that's appropriate? I don't want to listen to Justin Dealey say things like that. It's like calling you a bad name. We don't need names for places. We want to get the place going. We don't need catchphrases or names. It's a lovely town, absolutely brilliant, lovely place. But I'll, we went. We also went to the Priory Tea Rooms yesterday. Okay. And I don't know if people realise it's beautiful, and there was a lot of people in there. Fantastic, Matt. We have to end it there. Thank you very much indeed. Well, Matt from Luton there says he doesn't want to hear Justin Daly <coughs> use phrases such as "deadstable." Sorry, frog in my throat there. Uh, what do you think? Is it is deadstable? Is it too harsh? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Now, earlier on in the programme, we heard about a four-year-old boy from Milton Keynes who saved his mum's life by calling nine 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 when she collapsed. It's incredible. Here's a short section of the telephone call that Maddox Shearer made. Hello. What's your name? Nugget. Okay. How old are you, Nugget? Four. Four. Okay. Tell me what's happened to mummy. She hurt her leg. How she hurt her leg? 
She, she has kidneys. She's got kidneys? Yeah. Okay. Is there something wrong with her kidneys or she hurt her leg? Something wrong with her kidneys. Okay. Don't hang yeah. up. Are you there on your own? Here is Mummy. Okay. Okay, Nugget. Now I'm going to ask you some questions. Is Mummy there? Can she talk to me? Yeah. Yeah, can I talk to Mummy? Oh, that sends shivers down my spine, that does. The woman on the other end of the line there was Laura Patrick from South Central Ambulance Control Centre. Morning, Laura. Good morning. Uh, it's an incredible call. How do you manage, as, a, as a, an operator like that, to not get all emotional and all upset? You're very calm. Oh, we have to be in our job. When you hear a four-year-old boy, though, saying, wake up, mummy, that must pull at your heartstrings a bit. Yeah, your heart does sink, um, and instantly you just want to get help there straight away um, because you're aware that, you know, there's a child that potentially, you know, is there almost on their own because, you know, their mum or dad may be unconscious. When you um, heard such a young voice on the other end of the line, what did you think? I just wanted to get him help um, because, obviously, you know, we didn't know what had happened, um, and obviously it soon became clear that mummy was unconscious, Um so you're just you're just so aware that they you know I mean for a four year old to phone nine nine nine, you know he he's obviously been shown what to do and how to do it. Um, so we just wanted to get him help there as soon as we could. I would imagine it's quite unusual for someone as young as uh, a Maddox to to call up nine nine nine. Yeah, it's certainly. Um, I mean, I've been doing the job um, nearly four years, and it's the the youngest I've ever spoken to. Um, certainly with a parent unconscious, you know, no prompting at all. Um, so, yeah, he, he'd obviously been taught very well, and, yeah, the youngest I've spoken to. He was a, he's a very clever lad. For, for four years old, he's, he's listening, he's answering the questions, he's doing all the things that you ask him to do. Yes, no, he's extremely clever, and um, later on, obviously, he did open the door and let the ambulance crew in. So, yeah, I mean, he knew his address. I mean, how many four-year-olds know their address mm. even? So, do you have? I would imagine you have training to remain calm and focused and, and ask the questions you need to. Do you have training to deal with kids calling up? Um, we have training to deal with anyone calling up. So yeah, we do. Um, you know, we we have a, a training program that we follow, um, and we're licensed to take the calls. So yes, we do. And then a, a bit later on in the, the call, we hear some screaming in the background, which it, it turned out was um, the, the young lad's younger sister. Did that panic you at all? How did that make you feel? No, um, I say we, we, we have to stay calm. We take all kinds of emergencies from cardiac arrest through to, you know, people with hurt legs, etc. So, um, you know, we do stay calm, but your heart, your heart does sink because you just, you know, your second thought is, will he be able to open the door? Will we be able to get in? You know, will we need the police to help us get in? And, and every time you think that, you know, then potentially that's another delay. So, um, yeah, we just wanted to get in and, and know that he had help with him. Remind us of the outcome of this story. Um, I believe um, Maddox's mum, well, I stayed on the phone until my crew arrived and then I believe they took um, Maddox's mum into hospital. Uh, I, I think we're speaking to Maddox's mum a little bit later on, so every, everything is, is fine and dandy there. How does it work, Laura? Do you have, um, like, a little debriefing room? If you get a particularly emotional call, do you have a little room where you can go and kind of let it out a bit? 
Um, well, I actually um, look after the call takers, so I'm a senior call taker, so I'm in charge of the, the, the call takers that are in the room. Um, so if, if people do take um, a difficult call, then yes, we do um, do a welfare check and make sure that you know they're okay. Um, because obviously, yes, when we're taking cardiac arrest and giving CPR instructions over the phone and, and things like that, it can be quite, you know, quite upsetting. Um, but yes, we, we do make sure we have a full debrief. And at the end of that phone call, it's fantastic because you hear the um, uh, the door opening, you hear the ambulance crew coming in and the fellow goes, don't worry, we're here now. I- I'm imagining when you get that reassurance that someone stood up, that must be a big relief for you, that you've, you're, you've done your job, you've been successful and you've got someone there. Oh, yes. You know, there's no there's no better sound than hearing your crew. Um, certainly, you know, you know you've got the right address, you know that they've got help there and, you know, for us then it's handing over to them and and knowing that then the patient's in the best care. Laura, it's it's a cracking story. Thank you so much for coming on. That's Laura Patrick from uh, South Central Ambulance Control Centre. Uh, and we'll be speaking to Maddox's mum a little bit later on in the show. I just think it's a fact. Could your four-year-old do that? Incredible. Talking about Dunstable. Justin Dealey used the phrase. He heard someone else use it. He didn't come up with it. He's not that clever. Deadstable. What do you think? Is that harsh? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Sarah's in Dunstable. Sarah, deadstable, is that harsh? I think that is extremely harsh, yes. I was absolutely shocked to hear somebody say that. It's easy to bring out a, a phrase like that, and it's very quick and cheap, but it, it's not reflective of Dunstable at all. Now, I love Dunstable. It's a lovely place. There's an awful lot going for it. There's a lot of people working for it individually. I'm the Secretary of Promoting Dunstable, and uh, there's a lot of people from different um, churches, different um, organisations and shops and people who are um, town... Um, councillors who are, are working extremely hard to uh, to help Dunstable. I it, know that... Uh, it's not working, though, is it, Sarah? It, it, it isn't it attracting... Is work- no, look, listen, it's, it has been working. It could be an awful lot worse. You go to other places around locally and... I mean, I travel around the country quite a lot, just on holiday and other... And there's loads of places that are, are like Dunstable and even, you know, a lot more shops that are closed. And we have got little shops that are opening. People need to look. There are some that are, have been closed a while and there's some that where the council just can't get anybody to the owners who are responsible to to do anything about it and they'd look really untidy and there's, Sarah, there's very little people can do but have there's a, a listen, lot going th- have a listen to darren darren's a trucker from milton Keynes. darren you're not such a big fan of dunstable are you darren oh you're there darren sorry darren all i can hear is someone heavy breathing darren are you there darren Darren's disappeared. Well, Sarah, Darren was calling in just to say that he thinks Dunstable's rubbish. He hates it. And well, he's got to look behind the scenes. It's not just the high street. I had somebody visiting. Well, they came to our church the other weekend, and they came from Milton Keynes, and they spent the whole weekend. They said, I drive through Dunstable so many times, and we don't know what it's about. So they came, and they stayed in a local bed and breakfast, and they... They explored Dunstable and they saw there was so much more behind the scenes in the Priory Gardens and the Priory Church, they were up on the Downs. And it's a lovely place. You meet so many people because of the crossroads and everybody's around on the Darren, town. I think you're there now. You're, you're, you're not a fan of Dunstable, are you? No, I just think it looks, uh, I call it Dumpstable because it just looks so scruffy and dirty and it looks like somewhere that should be up in the north. Some of the north's very nice. I shouldn't run the north down. 
There are only certain areas. There's some smashing places out there. <laughs> you want to look above a bit. Look above at some of the architecture and some of the interesting buildings, not just the, the shop front. And think, when you go shopping, is there something I can buy in Dunstable itself? Do I always have to go to a, a supermarket and buy everything at once? Um, you want to... You want to think, now, can I just buy that one item here in Dunstall and support it? It needs support. And all the local towns and, and villages in, in England need support. You've got to do something and buy locally. OK, well, listen, Sarah, Darren, thank you for that. Sorry if we lost you for a second, uh, Darren. Sarah, stay on the line, because I think we'd like to take your details. M- maybe we'll, uh, if you're up for it, we might send uh, our reporter, Justin Dealey, out with you one morning in Dunstable, or Dumpstable, or Deadstable, whichever, whatever we're calling it these days. And you can point out uh, the good bits and uh, w- where things are improving. 08459 455 555. Dumpstable, Deadstable, Dunstable. Which one do you prefer? And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at eight. You raise an interesting question. Oh, really? You said um, his inning. Mm. Well, when did I say that? During the, when you were talking about the cricket. Oh, right. I wasn't listening. Well, you, you, have you got the script there? Hang on. Let Read me go it. back. Read oh, it. Hang on. Just talk amongst yourself for a minute. Oh, okay. There's no one listening, it doesn't matter. It's well, just okay. literally me and you. Have we- you seen Anchorman? I'll just read what I've got. Um, we might get um, a dog for the show. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, we're talking about it. That'd be nice. Called Nugget. <laughs> Go on, read the script about the cricket. In his first inning, yeah. But So your first inning and then your second inning. I think the singular is still called an innings. No, oh, no I'm not sure it does. I've well, ne- I have listen, never... the sports boys write it, I read it. I, I don't question. No, sh- I think it's still an inning. I have never heard anyone say the word inning. Well, you, you have, because you heard me say it. Well, I've heard you say it, and quite often your language is incorrect. Are you not respecting my authority? I, <laughs> no. <laughs> it makes no change then, does it? Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's one of those shows. It's one of those shows. I could do with someone telling me. What, it, it, an inning? Is, is one innings called an inning? I think they're, all, they're, they're called innings, aren't they? Could someone let me know? I need a cricket fan. Can we get Luke Ashmead or Jeff on the line, please? The sports boys from uh, BBC Three Counties Radio. Let's try and chase one of those up. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. I want Luke or Jeff on the line. I want to speak to those guys. Oh, we've got a caller already. Look, this is good. Uh, let's go to uh, Colin. Good morning, Colin. Good morning, Ian. Colin, well, listen, you heard me um, uh, arguing with our feisty newsreader, uh, uh, Catherine Nugget Boyle. Uh, is it is it an innings or an inning if it's one? It is an innings. Thank you very much uh, indeed. Now, 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 I have to say, though... What? You do give her a little bit of stick. Sorry? Normally. Well, she... L- now, listen, Colin, let's, let's be honest. I am her boss, and d- uh, I'm only trying to improve her standard. You can't have you can't have a BBC News reporter saying inning when it's innings. No, no. In, on this occasion, you are absolutely correct. What what occasion have I been incorrect, Colin? Um, several, but I can't remember any. You can- and just the way you treat the poor girl. I, I I've 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 got a I've got a little plan. Oh, go on. Well, to bring you down. <laughs> Sorry. I I I I know something about um, Catherine. Oh. That I think would absolutely flummox you. Go on. No, I'm not going to tell you. Sorry, this is all very I'm mysterious. I'm not going to tell you. I'm, I'm going to get in contact with her. Yes. Um, 
and uh, talk to her about it. It's not about her boozy past, is it? Because she's no, no, really no, put no, that no, behind no, her no, now. No, no, nothing, nothing, okay. nothing, nothing sinister. It sounds sinister, Colin. No, no, it'll be a little bit of fun, hopefully. Well, uh, if she agrees with me to do it. <laughs> oh, Colin! Well, fingers crossed. She says yes. Yep. yep. Che- cheers, Colin. Yeah, that's not creepy at all, is it? Hey. <laughs> Thank you, Colin. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number. We've been talking about Dunstable. We had the phrase Deadstable, Dumpstable. We're we being harsh. I think one morning we might send uh, JD out with that young lady we were speaking to to, to get a view on it. Um, let's have a look. We've got a, a text here. There's no name. So, uh, I can't read it out. You've got to put your name on, otherwise I can't read it out. Uh, Fred from Luton uh, said, uh, drop the D from Dunstable, it will be unstable. Well, there you go, you see. 08459 Andy, good morning, Andy. Good morning. Andy, uh, you called in about uh, Dunstable or Dumpstable or Deadstable. Probably a bit unkind, but it, it is a bit run down, isn't it? And I, I'm, I'm, I'm not unconvinced that uh, it's not to do with the traders themselves, and I'll probably get yelled at for saying No, that. tell us why, Andy. Why do you think it's the traders' fault? Well, I'm, g- I'm going to give you an example. I used to live in Deal in Kent, um, uh, and I got off the train one night, half past six, and the place was dead. Nothing open. They closed on Wednesday afternoons, they shut, up, shut at five o'clock, and they're not open on Sundays. What, what, what has happened is they've not evolved. Because they haven't evolved, they don't pick up the trade... It, from the people who get off the trains in the evening. Um, and everybody's going to be open for people to be interested to go to a high street. Half of it empty. It's not very enticing, is it? If they can't afford, though, one of the complaints I'm hearing is the business rates are, are perhaps too high. So is, is that not the council's fault? Well, I suppose to some extent. I mean, if, if, if they want, want to revitalise, I suppose they need to have some sort of claim process where you can claim back some of the money based upon... The thing is, is perhaps, they, perhaps they ought to do it on the basis of, that... They are open, sort of into, into the to the mid evening, mm. and they're open on Sundays. And perhaps if they sort of scored points for doing that, um, they could actually claim back the um, uh, the rates. Andy, I appreciate that. Well, if you're a, a, a trader, you run a shop in Dunstable. Part of it's your fault. You're not working enough hours. That's according to Andy there. Do you agree? 08459 455 555. We've heard the phrases deadstable, dumpstable, bit harsh, or fair summary? 08459 455 555. Well, on Sunday, did you go to Luton Carnival? The sun shone. I think four or five arrests, as there often are at these things, and then everyone seemed to enjoy themselves. But what happened to the attendance at Luton International Carnival? Despite a smaller scale event being planned, it seemed that thousands of residents and visitors stayed away. These people told us why they wouldn't be going to the carnival. Because the recent shootings and the crime that's been going on, I just don't feel like it'll be a safe environment. I normally have a stall, but I won't be having one this year. And you've made that decision this year that it's just not worth it? No, absolutely not. 
Well, it, it's really bad because there's only a few people causing all the problems. I think generally every year there seems to be a bit more trouble and obviously with the shootings that have been happening of late, um, I think a lot of people just stay away thinking there'll probably be more aggro down there with people doing tit for tat and just generally making it worse for everyone else. Well, joined now by Hopeton Walker, who chairs the UK Centre for Carnival Arts Board and also the Labour Deputy Leader of Luton Borough Council, Sean Timoney. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. Good morning. Sean, we'll start with you. How many people actually attended the carnival? Um, well, I, th- I think the figures I've been given are around 20,000, um, and, and that reflects previous years, uh, despite the fact that this year the uh, event wasn't marketed outside of the town, it was only marketed locally um, in response to feedback, uh, so I understand, from previous years, where people said they felt it, it wasn't a Luton event anymore, um, uh, you know, and they felt it was mainly people coming, coming into the town. Um, I think that worked really, really well. So, yes, uh, you know, you some may years say it's had 50, 60, 70,000 people, hasn't it? Yes, it has. But that was something so you, that was marketed you uh, wanted more widely. Less, you wanted less people to come and spend their money in Luton? No, we wanted to bring it uh, more to have a homely feel, to make it a Luton event. That really worked. I walked through the carnival on the day. Thousands of smiling people were happy. People were coming up to me and saying, this is the best carnival for years. We were told, we had a gentleman in who was working with the security, that uh, they were expecting 50,000. I don't know where that figure came from. Somebody mentioned that figure to me, and it certainly never came from the council. Okay. Uh, and, and where did you get the figure of 20,000? Because uh, the Look East reporter, Sally Chidroy, said it was closer to 5,000. No, definitely more than 5,000. Uh, the figure um, was given to me from our uh, council people who were there. So uh, definitely more than 5,000. I was there, and how, I can tell you there were more than 5,000. How do they calculate that figure? Pass. So it's, was it just a guess? No, of course it was not a guess. I'm sure there are ways of working these things out um, by people who know better than I. But, you know, actually... It, it would it be an a, estimate, wouldn't it? That you, no, you, you can't well, count 20,000 people. No, you people. can't count them, but it was, you know, it was very clearly a well-attended event, beautiful sunny day, loads of smiling, happy faces. I was there, I saw them all enjoying themselves. And as I say, people telling me it was the best carnival they've been to in years. We did hear um, uh, lots of people before the carnival saying they weren't going to go because they were afraid. Yeah, yeah, but on the day, your people were there interviewing people who said, um, no, uh, the, the things that were going on in the town were not going to put me off. Well, that was that the was people... A small number of people. Yeah, that was the people that went, but yeah, obviously but the people that, that didn't go, were, that was the reason they cited for not going. How, uh, yeah. what, 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 what I'm trying to get at is how do we d- d- persuade people that things are safe? Because there was a stabbing that night, not related to the carnival, but, but Luton is in the midst of, of quite a lot of violent crime at the moment, isn't it? It is, but I think we're, we're, as someone, one of your people that you spoke to, they said, you know, it's a small number of people. Now, these people think it's acceptable to go around with weapons and taking shots at each other and all the rest of it, but the police are working on it really, really well. We've seen that there's been a number of arrests. That makes people feel reassured straight away um, that the, the, the police and supported by the council are getting these people locked away. And, you know, but we still need the public out there to come forward with information to help us um, make sure that, that we, do, we do identify them and get them locked up for a very long time. Hope to, what were your impressions of the carnival? I think it was a, a fantastic day. I'm proud to be a Lutonian. Um, so many Luton, Lutonians coming out on the day to enjoy themselves. It's a complete uh, enjoyable day, family day. Um, it was great. The sun came out. Disappointing numbers? Um, for, for me, the numbers were, were fine, actually. 20,000 was, was good. We're in a transitional year um, because we're picking it up from 
the council. Uh, as of this year, this year, we did the artistic elements of it. Next year, we're going to do all of it, the logistics as well. So for us, it was good to get our own people sort of uh, shadowing the council and, and seeing how it's done, and then uh, we'll pick it up next year. So for us, it was it was smaller, but actually, it was it was a, a beautiful event. There, there, there were some complaints from people that were there that the procession was smaller and didn't last very long. Yes, it, it it was a little bit smaller, but actually, wasn't it fantastic? Well, it was fantastic, but people, some people felt a little bit uh, cheated is perhaps too strong a word, but 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 felt that there wasn't as much as there had been. Uh, well, as I said, you know, yes, it was a bit smaller. Um, th- th- there are reasons for that. The route was slightly smaller because of um, you know sort of uh, work happening in in, in the town. Um, Yes, it was smaller. We just have to admit it. I don't think people were treated because of the the, the, the spectacle that uh, people were treated to. Sean, I'm, I am slightly confused as to why you would want less people to come and spend money in Luton. When, when places are struggling, why it would be considered a, a success when in the past it's had 50, 60, 70,000 people. Why you would want less people to come into Luton? That seems odd. Well, I think it was because of the feedback that I mentioned that, that uh, local people were saying, you know, it, it's become a huge event, um, a, a sort of akin to Notting Hill Carnival. It, it's not; it's lost its um, local focus that it had. I mean, years and years ago, I remember when I was a child, it started off as um, before it was the carnival. It was this Victorian fair, uh, sort of like summer fair, and um, people were saying, you know, we need to bring some of the elements of that back into it. And I think that's what that's what we try to do. Um, and I think the Carnival Arts Centre, having taken, a, you know, beginning to take over this year, have done a fantastic job um, and really put on a brilliant show. Very quickly, because we're running out of time, but some people have said that there was a lower turnout because it was on a Sunday instead of the normal bank holiday Monday. Is it staying on a Sunday? I think we, we probably will. Uh, obviously, we'll consult, but um, my, my thoughts are that it probably will stay on a Sunday. Um, it gives people a chance to, to enjoy the day and then still have another day off before they go back to work. OK, Hopeton Walker, thank you very much indeed. And uh, Sean Timoney, of course, thank you very much for joining us. 08459 455555. Figures are 20,000 there. How do they calculate 20,000 people? You can't count them. It's got to be a guesstimate, hasn't it? What did you think? If you were there, were, were there 20,000 people? 08459 455 555. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459 455 555. Getting lots of uh, reaction to Dumpstable, Deadstable. How do you prefer to call Dunstable? Are we being a little bit harsh on it? If you, uh, By the way, these terms have been given to us by listeners, and they've not come from us. What do you think? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us uh, a call. You can also go to facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Now, bad service. If you get bad service, what do you do? Do you complain? Or do you kind of do what I do? You, you walk away muttering to yourself, tutting, vowing never to go back there again. There are so many shops I can't go into because I've, I've made my own little um, uh, embargo that uh, won't let me go in there. Well, it seems more and more of us... Oh, we're dropping that now, are we? Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. Maybe, uh, maybe I'll tease you with the the customer complaint story a little bit later on. Or maybe I won't. 
uh, you can go to uh, 08459 455 555 is the phone number if you want to give us a call. The Independent Transport Commission report says there should be a single... Oh, let me start at the beginning. Look, this is all over the place, isn't it? An independent report issued today is looking into future flight expansion to serve Heathrow, while the airport's own master plan identifies one potential site in Buckinghamshire. A super hub airport with four runways could be built in the home counties to ease the pressure on Heathrow with Haddenham in Aylesbury Vale a possible choice. The Independent Transport Commission report says there should be a single hub, um, probably at Heathrow, Stansted or in the Thames estuary, suggesting Heathrow would probably have to close if either of these two options were chosen. Well, that was written in a a listener-friendly way. Did you follow that? Me neither. Basically... They could build an airport in Bucks. Well, we'll talk to the author of the ITC report, Dr Stephen Hickey, in a moment. But first, Michael Whitney is a local resident in Haddenham. Good morning, uh, Michael. How are you doing? Yeah, well, why does Haddenham attract this interest as a site for big projects? Well, I, I suppose it's position, really, isn't it? Close, to, close enough to London, close enough to transport. We've got a good railway. Uh, M40 is not far away. It's not the first time. Probably won't be the last. Why, uh, what are your concerns about this, Michael? Well, basically, if you had an airport size of Heathrow, it'd eradicate most of the villages around here. Haddenham would be ruined, of course, because the only flat land which is any length would encompass it. I think they're saying that local villages like uh, Longcrend and Chesley would be annihilated and um, wouldn't be worth living here, would it? Some people might suggest, Michael, that um, small villages need to um, kind of take one for the team, as it were, that we do need um, bigger airports and we do need more uh, planes coming in and out of the country. They've got to be built somewhere, haven't they? Um, For those people that fly, yes. Uh, For those that don't, they probably say, why me? Um, Yeah, but it wouldn't be worth living in the village with an airport that size because it wouldn't be a village. It would become like... I suppose um, the villages around London Airport did years ago. Mm. Do you ever fly, Michael? Twice. I'm 68 and I've flown twice. Where did you go? Ten- holiday. Yeah, but whereabouts? Uh, Tenerife and Geneva, Switzerland. Oh, oh very nice, Geneva, Michael. Uh, You've not been tempted again? Not really. I'd rather go by train, but of course that takes time and I know what you're going to say aeroplanes are quicker. Michael, listen, I appreciate your time uh, this morning. We're joined now by Dr Stephen Hickey, who is the report's author. In fact, Michael, just stay there for, for a second. Uh, Stephen, why do we need another airport in the southeast? Well, we don't necessarily need another airport. What we do need is a, a hub airport that continues to be one of the major hubs in Europe and the world. Uh, why are there limits on expanding Heathrow? Can't we just build another runway there? Well, that's been the proposal, but uh, that, that was rejected by the uh, incoming government, so there are no plans to build an extra runway at the moment. The question is, should there be um, or uh, one runway or, or two, or if not at Heathrow, is there a, a better site somewhere else? These um, the plans always uh, affect people and small villages. We, we speak, we've got Michael on the line, who, who could potentially be affected by, by some of these plans. What would you say to someone like that? Well, I recognise that that is, you know, people who live locally and near airports, wherever you are, always um, dislike particularly the noise, which is clearly, you know, a real problem. And that's true, you know, wherever you live, um, you know, near any airport. And any development of any airport usually arouses great local concern. And those issues do have to be addressed. 
Um, and Heathrow's own 2025 master plan identifies sites elsewhere in the south, uh, um, including Haddenham in Bucks and White Waltham in Berkshire. How likely is that? I don't know. Um, we, we haven't seen the outcome of those studies. I'm not sure that Heathrow has decided, actually, what its own pr- pr- uh, preferred option would be, and they haven't come forward with their conclusions. I, um, so we wait with interest to see that. Our own, our own assessment in our report is that if the existing Heathrow site were to be ruled out for major development. On the face of it, it looks like the, the most plausible sites to build a major new airport would either be um, in the estuary, as some have proposed, or perhaps at Stansted. Those seem the, 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 most, the, most, the most plausible. But if another alternative is put forward, then obviously we need to look at that. Uh, Dr Stephen Hickey, thank you very much uh, for joining us, and thank you for bearing with the, some of the slight technical problems that I think we've been having this morning. Well, listen, to that is Haddenham Parish Councillor John Wheeler, who's Vice Chairman of the Council's Environment Committee. What impact would an airport have on your parish? Um, it would completely obliterate the whole of the parish. We'd be, you know, completely wiped out. Uh, you're having a bit of a tough time at the moment because HS2 might go through your area. Now there's talk of an airport. What's the general atmosphere there at the moment? Uh, apprehension, doubt. Um, you know, we there's no certainty about anything. Uh, uh, the point I made earlier on to, uh, to our uh, previous guest is that, that airports probably do have to be made at some point to uh, encourage business into the country why shouldn't it be where in Haddenham um if you're going to about cost really because um if you're going to redevelop the whole area it's going to be a lot more expensive than putting an extra runway onto Heathrow and I think it's a bit of a ploy you know get the um people angry and start protesting so it seems a better option to put it at Heathrow if you think, well, the, do you think that, that this is what this all is, John? A little bit of smoke and mirrors to, yes, um, and showmanship to get, get one at Heathrow? Yes, I do. Well, you, you may be working in that case. John uh, Wheeler, thank you very much indeed. Haddenham Parish Councillor John uh, Wheeler. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. to have a look at the front pages of the newspapers, shall we? They've put a ladder on the top of um, Everest. A ladder? I know, it's mental, isn't it? Um, The front page of the Times. Uh, You can't see the ladder, but uh, there's a picture of uh, the Times journalist Tom Whipple at 17,900 feet with the summit of Everest in the background. It's a cracking picture. There's a ladder at the top of Everest. Is that cheating a little bit? Uh, Lib Dems thwart terror bill. Tories fear party's threat to revive mansion tax. The Liberal Democrats will line up with Labour over a mansion tax if David Cameron uh, pushes through the snooper charter. Senior Tory ministers warned last night. The snooper charter. That's the thing where they're allowed to check your emails and monitor your phone calls, whether you are a naughty person or not. I kind of think that's a bad thing. Oh, if you've got nothing to hide, mate, then uh, you've got nothing to worry about. Well, maybe I have got things to hide. Not necessarily terrorist activities and plots to murder, but I have things to hide. It's called my private life. I don't want some copper listening to what I'm banging on about. Daily Telegraph. In safe hands, the newborn baby flushed away. This is an incredible story. A baby was flushed down the toilet in China. There's some, I mean, the picture of the, the front page of the sun. Look at the front page of the sun. It's a baby in a toilet tube incredible death risk lottery of nhs surgery 
and uh, suspect's family play pray for dead soldier Rigby. The Christian family of the Woolwich murder suspect, Michael Adebalajo, appeared to distance themselves from him last night as they offered prayers for drummer Lee Rigby. Uh, the independent MI5 attacks case for Snooper Charter. Using Rigby killing to justify extra powers is cheap, says security officers. Um, the Guardian... Oh, there's a bit of music on the front page. I'll try and uh, have a fiddle with that later on and see if I can get it to make noise. Uh, And Russia's arms pledge raises stakes in Syria. Israel issues warning after Moscow says it will supply missiles to Assad. We'll have a look at the Mail and the Express and the Sun uh, a little bit later on. 08459 455 555. You'll be pleased to know Catherine Boyle has sent me a grovelling apology for using the word inning instead of the word innings. The apology is under review, Catherine. A British ticket has won last night's Euro Millions jackpot of £81 million. The win puts the mystery ticket holder sixth on the National Lottery Rich List. The sport, Ashley Cole, will captain England for tonight's friendly against the Republic of Ireland at Wembley in recognition of his 100th cap. It'll be Cole's 102nd England appearance overall. The weather, cloudy, wet and misty with a top temperature of 13 degrees Celsius. That's 55 Fahrenheit. Get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. I would be very happy with 81 million pounds and I would take you out for a coffee over at the Icon Hotel opposite this building because they do posh coffees. Well, and you'd pay for once. Well, no. I would let you sit with me, though. Oh, thanks. You're very, very welcome. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. We've had a few technicals this morning. You've probably not even noticed. You're sat there slurping your frothy coffees, eating your muesli... You don't care. Lots coming up between now and JVS at nine o'clock, uh, including, well, including lots of stuff, including it's a year on since the Porter's Pilot Scheme started. £50,000 was handed out to various towns around the country. Has it had any effect whatsoever? On the back of the Portas discussion, we've uh, gone into a little debate about Dunstable. Two of our listeners have called it Dumpstable. And deadstable. Is that a bit harsh? And the amazing story of a four-year-old boy who, when his mum collapsed with kidney problems, phoned up 999 and got the ambulance to come round, gave the address and everything. It's an incredible phone call. We'll play a bit of that and we'll be speaking to the mum as well. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send me a text as well, 81333. Start your text 3CR. Or you can give me a call, 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, it's a year since two towns in the three counties were awarded funding to help improve footfall on the high street. Both Bedford and Hatfield were given investments of just over £50,000 by the Portas Pilot Scheme. However, 12 months later, with all their money spent, Bedford has seen a drop in the number of retailers in the town. Our reporter, Simon Watts, has been to Bedford to see how the money has been spent and what shop owners think of it. Exactly one year ago, shop owners and retailers in Bedford were celebrating being one of just 12 towns in the country to be picked by local government minister Grant Shapps to receive investment. They've been narrowed down from 371 individual bids and along with Hatfield in Hertfordshire would receive funding to the tune of £51,000 to help revive their high street. 
Well, 12 months on and on a gloomy and wet afternoon, the figures gathered by the BBC for the first year look equally as bleak. Only two of 12 towns involved have seen a rise in the number of occupied shops. And here in Bedford, 17 units have been lost following the closure of 98 stores, of which only 81 reopened. Bedford Bid have been responsible for investing the funding here and they've taken their time over spending the money. They focus much of the resources on training with free courses on areas such as social retail, search engine optimization, window dressing and websites and a high street showcase event to be held in July to support startup and existing businesses in the town. Across the border in Hertfordshire, £27,000 was spent on a controversial portable stage to provide entertainment in the town centre. So do shop owners here in Bedford think their money is being well spent? My name is Gilda and I run the Café Virtuoso, which is a vegetarian and gluten-free specialist coffee shop. I think it's quite attractive because it's giving um, the individuals skills to use to kind of sell and promote. Yeah, so you're one week on to one of the three courses on offer, yeah. so you're obviously a business here that's the benefiting from this investment. Yeah, it's definitely good because it's social media courses, but they are running other courses as well. Um, I think it's how to um, decorate your front window and investment back into the independent shops. And that's where it's needed because bigger shops have you know, budgets for advertising, etc. So it's nice to be able to give skills back. My name is Vic Corner and Goldings of Bedford. The shops started in 1867. We trade on the old-fashioned idea and people come to us because it is an old-fashioned shop and they expect old-fashioned hospitality. They don't want us pressing buttons on computers and buggering about like that. Do you think that the money then could have been spent in other areas a little better than it has, or do you think it is beneficial to have courses? The courses are ideal for, we'll say, the younger people, and we do need younger people coming in to open the shops. The high street is getting, well, short of shops, really. There's plenty of buildings, but there's, there's very few occupied. It's a good idea to uh, perhaps to train younger people to run the shops but us old codgers it's really it's it's a bit late (laughs) they should have done this 50 years ago (laughs) car parking is the biggest bug bear with um, Bedford. It's far too expensive. The research that has been carried out by Radio 4's You and Yours programme also claims that Bedford is the only one of the 12 towns to get a Mary Porter's funding to have spent their entire allocation already. Now, despite only £3,500 being spent when we last covered the story back in February. However, it is also worth pointing out that Bedford didn't claim as much of the funding as other towns and that the rather gloomy retail picture is reflected of many high streets across the country and not just here. Well, that's our reporter, Simon Watts in Bedford. Samantha Fennick is from Radio 4's You and Yours programme, who've carried out the research. She joins me now. Good morning, Samantha. Good morning. It's exactly a year since the government launched the Portas pilot. Remind us why the scheme was launched. Well, Mary Portas was asked to, by the Prime Minister, to conduct an independent review into the state of our high streets and town centres, and she concluded that they were at crisis point and many people who 
who've watched the programmes on Channel 4 over the past few weeks will kind of will kind of see that. Um, she said that what they needed was urgent action or we were going to lose what was, what is, fundamental to our society. So she made 28 recommendations and they included cutting red tape, starting a national market day, setting up town team groups of local people who would come together to bring towns back to life. Now the government responded, as we've just heard, with a competition. Uh, towns were allowed to win up to £100,000 and they would get support from Mary Portis as well as um, you know, government officials within the DCLG. Over 300 towns entered and uh, this time last year the first 12 were announced and Bedford was one of those first 12. You've been carrying out research to discover how successful the last year have been. What are the findings like? Well, to be honest, they show a, a mixed picture. Um, but what they do say is that 10 out of the 12 government-funded towns have seen a fall in the number of occupied units on their high street. The only towns to experience any growth have been Bedminster and Margate. Now, in total, 700 units closed and fewer than 600 opened. Um, in their place. If more shops close than open, that's when we start to see a decay in our high streets. Now, vacancy rates have also gone down in seven of the towns, that's shop vacancy rates, and um, five towns have experienced a rise, but a lot of those 12, in fact, most of those 12 are still just hovering above uh, the national average, which is um, 14%. How have Bedford and Hatfield fared? Well, as I say, we've looked at the first 12, so Hatfield isn't included right. in that. But Bedford, in the last 12 month, months, uh, 98 units have closed and 81 have reopened. That's a loss of 17 units. Now, I'm saying units as opposed to shops because it can mean cafes, restaurants, leisure facilities, as well as shops. Um, so the vacancy rate, um, we're just looking at shops there in Bedford, has improved with fewer empty shops than last year. But what we've found is that experts have told us is that landlords might be changing the usage of commercial properties into residential and that might mean actually that the town centre is shrinking. Now, it would appear, Samantha, that, that, that this isn't working particularly well. Why is that? Is it because the, the, the sums, 50,000, 100,000 pounds, it's not a lot of money, is it really? I mean, I've been to five Porter's Towns over the, the last um, few, few days and we're going to be in Bedford on Tuesday. What I found is that all of these town teams that have been set up to spend this money are saying that the money is actually not important. It's about galvanising the town centre, bringing people together and making them work towards a common good. What That all sounds good on paper, doesn't it? But what I found is that there are arguments going on between these town teams. In a lot of places, traders who were kind of instrumental in getting the bid, like in places like Newbiggin in the northeast and Liscard in Cornwall, they were instrumental in getting in the bid and now they've backed off from the town team because they're frustrated that everything has to go through lots of discussion and lots of debate before actually anything gets done. And that's why you're seeing that much of this money is not being spent. In, um, in Stockton-on-Tees, which is in the northeast as well, they've only spent about eight to £10,000 of their £100,000 money and that's frustrating traders. Samantha Fenwick, thank you very much uh, indeed. And as she said, she's going to be in Bedford uh, on Tuesday at the Corn Exchange for a special programme. 08459 455 555. The failure of the high street, the death of the high street. Is it reversible? And if you live in Dunstable, we've heard the phrases dumpstable and deadstable. Bit harsh? Geoffrey's uh, on the line. Morning, Geoffrey. No. The high street is one truly deceased. It is a corpse. Just, just, just in the same way 
It's an illusion to imagine that it's going to be resurrected. This is the same way as the United Kingdom is a corpse, because we're now in the great country called the European Union. You know... Jeffrey, Jeffrey, I'm not going to allow that nonsense. We're not in a great country called the European Union. I'm not going to let you... I'm not going to let you go on that tangent when we're talking about high streets. Well, we're talking about changes and movements on from old situations. And we're now in a situation where people don't shop in the high street. And we're now in a situation... Why is that? Because, because A, um, councils have put business rates up so high that it's prohibitive for ordinary small and medium-sized businesses to operate in the high street. It's only the big ones that can operate, so that's why you've got a uniform high street throughout the UK with marks and sparks and uh, cost, cost a lot of money for a coffee. But I remember, growing up in the 70s, I remember the high streets were all pretty much the same. It was just different shops, in a, it was the same shops in a slightly different order. That's not different. Yeah, but you were talking about 40 years ago, Ian. As I said earlier, now times have moved on. Well, but they, they haven't from your description. You just said that high streets were, were ruined because it's, it's just the big corporations. Well, well you, it, can, was, you, it was in the 70s. But if you, I can remember, you come from Farm and Royal, I think. If, no, I don't. You know, well, don't you come from Slough area? I, I come from Slough and then Farnham Common, not Farnham Royal, no. That was where I was born. Okay, okay. But the point is, I, and I came from Reading in the 1970s. I can remember David Greggs, I can remember Steed and Simpson shoes, I can remember all kinds of shops, no longer. Woolworths. Now, tell me the truth. Is, is Woolworths still in business or not? Well, no. online it is, yeah, but not in, not in the high street. What's, so, what's, so your, point, what's your point, well, though, exactly, Jeffrey? But that's the whole point. People have gone to online shopping. Council, we got there in the end. We got there in the end. That's okay. what I was aiming for. <laughs> I'll just tell you the truth. So well, no, we got the, you, the thing. Uh, listen, I enjoy talking to you, Jeffrey, but you take <laughs> such a long, a long, torturous route to get to the thing. No, no, because the four factors are online shopping, retail parks, and hostile councils who want to screw both the business people who want to do retail and the customers. They want to screw them on car parking charges, they want to screw them on, 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 on car parking fines, on bus lane fines. And, 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 you know, let's get people to come into the centre of our towns and we'll make more money out of them. But, but, but every time they make a mistake, when they're trying... Jeffrey, we have to end it there because we have time. Thank you very much. I do enjoy Jeffrey calling in, but he takes such a long time to get to the point. You could... If you'd have said earlier on, everyone's shopping online and going to retail parks, then boom, we could have had a conversation. But you go off on this nonsense about Europe that's got nothing to do with it. Jonathan, Byrne and Smith, we're both sailing uh, half-mast here. Re- oh, are we? I no, didn't no, notice. No, 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 not that. No. <laughs> <laughs> is that what that means? I don't know. I thought it meant that we've got our shirts. So, well, actually, oh. yours is undone more than mine today. Yes, well, when you've got a killer chest like mine, why not? You're, you're, uh, what I, have I got this right? You're a bear. Is that the right terminology? I've heard this Am phrase Am I a used. bear? I think that's the phrase. What, because it? I've got a hairy chest? Yeah, you're a, you're a bear. Oh, am I? It's, I think that's a, a, a description. <laughs> why, do I, why do I know that? It's going to come back and haunt me. Clip it. Uh, <laughs> no, you're looking, look, you're looking smart. When I put my jacket Thanks. on, I'm looking smart. I'm meeting my bank manager today. Are you? Yeah. Why are you meeting your bank manager? Well, he got in touch saying, all right, Ian, we, sh- we should probably meet and have a chat. Oh, dear. Should we? Oh, oh why? dear. That can, that can only be a bad thing. He's not going to invite me to his kid's birthday party or anything. Well, he, he might try and do one of those things where they try and sell you products. Oh, oh that's annoying. Gosh. Last time I went to the bank, I paid a check-in and the woman said, now, it's quite a while since we've had a, um, a consultation. Oh. I said, hang on a minute. When you say consultation, does this mean where you get me into one of those silly rooms around the, the corner and some, some person will try and sell me products I don't need, insurance policies I don't need? And she said, 
I said, yes, it is. No, I'm not interested. Oh, I wish you'd have had this conversation with Barney. Oh? Yeah, Barney. <laughs> You're going to be hauled into a room and they're yeah. going to transfer you life insurance... Oh, no. ...mortgage protection. I can't say no to these things as well. I'm going to come out with sheaths of paper under my arm. <laughs> oh, no. It's going to be awful. Really? Why have you dressed up smart? What do you mean? Well, you've got a nice jacket, a shirt... They almost go together. Why have you made the... <laughs> no, no, that's not fair. <laughs> You're awful. It's not fair. It's harsh, but it's not fair. Mm. Uh, why have you dressed up smart? I don't know. I just felt like it. You look lovely. So uh, thanks very much. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, there's no particular reason. I just thought, you know, make an effort. Look lovely. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. I thoroughly enjoyed your show yesterday. Oh, with, did you? Uh, with uh, the Mr. Robinson. Uh, on. Yes, it was... Yes, uh, it was interesting, wasn't it? Fascinating. Have you persuaded him? Did you persuade him in the end to go... Yeah, he's going to come with me. He's going to come with me, and uh, I want to sit with him, and we're going to talk to Muslims. Okay. Tommy Robinson from the EDL. Yes. With Muslims. Normal Muslims. Normal Muslims. Who don't want to kill anyone. No, no. We're going to have a conversation. Okay. You're very... Uh, he was mooted to come on my show, and I kind of poo-pooed it. I'm, I, I'm in two minds about giving um, uh, uh, what could be described as extreme uh, uh, political groups. Well, he didn't turn up to half past ten. Yeah. He was... Uh, we were trying to phone him all morning. He was and booked turn up. seven, yes. Yes, I know. And, uh, yes, he finally... Well, he did turn up at half past ten. He wasn't late. Nope. And he uh, gave us half an hour. Okay. Well, it was it was certainly very interesting. What's in your show today? More well, interesting stuff? Yeah. Hopefully, we're picking up on this high street business. I heard your uh, feisty conversation you just had with Jeffrey. I'm asking from nine. Who do you blame for our failing high streets? It's a year since Mary Porter's launched her pilot scheme to save our high streets here in the three counties. Fifty thousand pounds was pumped into Bedford, and twenty-seven thousand pounds pumped into Hatfield. So what on earth happened? In Bedford, 17 shops have closed. In Hatfield, the money was spent on a portable music stage. Well, if government funding isn't working, then what on earth will? Do you know what I think? Mm. And this is a bit controversial. I think our high street's too big. I think that's the reality. I think there are too many shops on our high streets for 2013, and I don't think we actually need as many shops. Mm. That's the reality. So it's purely market forces. It's a combination of the recession. It's a combination of uh, the internet. It's a combination of all kinds of things. But you put it all together, and it just means we don't want to go into our high streets and buy as many things as we once did, because many people are buying them on the internet. They're going to yep. places like London Coney, where you've got all your you know great big Marks and Spencer and, and your TK Maxx and whatever. They, they'd rather go there than go into town centres. So I wonder whether it's time for councils to recognise this and to say, we're going to stop trying to pump all this money into persuading people to go to a high street that they don't want to go to what we'll do we'll bulldoze some of it we'll simply knock down no you pull that face i'm pulling that face have you been into st albans recently st peter street hello if anybody influential is listening from st albans this morning get your bulldozer out go to the top of st peter street and knock it down because there are there are a stretch of about six shops it makes the top of st albans look a disgrace an utter disgrace the best they get the best thing they can do bulldoze the whole lot build a house or some flats or something build a house disgusting the state <laughs> hurry the, up i've got i've got holly coming on in a second yeah, don't even get me oh, started hatfield goodness. stevenage bulldozer okay so just the final line from your scripts and then who do you blame yep. for our failing high streets and do you agree we should knock some of the shops down and build houses? Oh, go away. Call 08459 555 BBC Three Counties Radio. It's going to be one of those shows 
When he's in ranty mood, it's one of those shows. Now, earlier on in the programme, uh, we heard about a four-year-old from Milton Keynes. Incredible story. Saved his mum's life by calling 999 when she collapsed at home. Here's a, here's a tiny piece of the call that Maddox Shearer made. Hello. What's your name? Nugget. OK, how old are you, Nugget? Four. Four? OK, tell me what's happened to Mummy. She hurt her leg. How she hurt her leg? She, she has kidneys. She's got kidneys? Yeah. OK. Is there something wrong with her kidneys or she hurt her leg? Something wrong with her kidneys. OK. Don't hang yeah. up. Are you there on your own? Here is Mummy. OK. OK, Nugget. Now, I'm going to ask you some questions. Is Mummy there? Can she talk to me? Yeah. Yeah? Can I talk to Mummy? Mummy, wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Oh, God, the bit where he says, wake up, wake up, is just heartbreaking, isn't it? Well, that was Maddox Shearer. We can talk to Maddox's mum now. Holly, morning, Holly. Good morning. Your son's pretty special, isn't he? He's great, and he? he's so proud. Oh, it's incredible. By the way, you have to rename him Nugget now. I know, yeah. You've got to, it's, a, it's a cracking name. I think he should be called Nugget. Do you, what do you remember of what happened? Not a great deal, to be honest. Like, I woke up in the morning feeling really ill. I like, called my nan to come and help me, and in the meantime, I must have passed out, because I was ill. So uh, you've, you've got a, a, an ongoing problem with your kidneys, haven't you? I do, yeah. So you, you, you're on the floor, you fainted, uh, and then Maddox, do, do you remember him waking you up during that phone call? Um, I only remember waking up when the ambulance crew was at my door. Wow, because there is a bit in it where he's going, Mum, wake up, wake up, and I you know, manage to answer a couple of <laughs> It is heartbreaking, but he's wonderful. He's, he's four years old. When did you teach him about 999? Um, from the age of two onwards, he knew what to do, and he's never had to use it before. But luckily, like, when the time come, obviously, he stayed calm, and he knew exactly what to do. From the age of two? Yeah, he's my, always been so clever. My lad, well, listen, my lad's three, and yesterday I had to run out into the street and stop him doing a wee in the street. So <laughs> I, I, I don't trust him with, with 999. You've got a two-year-old daughter, Mia. Yeah. Let's be honest, what, what was she doing? Come on. She let, she let the side down a bit, didn't she? Oh, bless her. She was watching TV. Maddox put the TV on for her. Oh, he's, he is fantastic. He really is very special. Uh, you must be so proud of him. I am, like, immensely proud. Yeah. Uh, and you don't remember anything that happened? You just remember the ambulance guy, guys turning up and taking over? Yeah. When was it explained to you, Holly, exactly what had happened and just how amazing Maddox had been? Um, when I come home from hospital over a week later, I received an email and they explained to me what had happened. I just, I just find it absolutely incredible. And, and, and the, the, the call is just the most heartbreaking uh, thing. He, he, he's, he's amazing. What kind of things does Maddox like doing? What, what, what's, what's he like as a boy? He's very, very intelligent. He likes to run around and he loves anything with wheels, like playing cars and that. <laughs> they do. They, they love the cars. You can't stop Definitely. them with the cars. Um, what's your advice to other parents about teaching uh, youngsters 999 and the address as well? He knew the address. What, what advice would you give to other parents? Um, to try and teach them, at least that way, if something happens, even if it's not like because of an illness, like accidents can happen at home any time of day, and if your child knows what to do, they'll remain calm and they'll get you help. But mainly they'll stay calm, they won't yeah. be panicked or stressed. That's the thing, is keeping them calm. Is Maddox there now? 
He's still in bed. <laughs> He's in bed? Yes. Is he asleep? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Oh, man, listen, we, uh, Holly, you and I have got to have a coffee. How on earth are you keeping a four-year-old asleep at half past eight in the morning? He was up till late last night playing with the new toy that he got off his ambulance crew okay. yesterday. <laughs> my boy my boy gets up at five. Can we swap for a week? Oh, so, normally he gets up at five. Oh, OK, right, well, <laughs> fair enough. And how are you feeling now, Holly? Is, every, is everything kind of improving? Um, it's not bad, but we'll have to see what they say on Thursday. <laughs> OK, well, listen, I wish you the best of luck. You've got, you, you got two amazing kids there, so, so well done. You're doing something right. Well done, Holly. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. That was Holly there, uh, who, was, uh, who is Maddox's uh, mum. Got to call him Nugget from now on, though. He, he's a Nugget. He'll always be a Nugget to me. Imagine that a four-year-old boy is still asleep at half past eight in the morning. I can only dream of such a thing. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. In the last, last thirty minutes of the show, customer service. Are you a good complainer when it comes to things like customer service and Dunstable? On this show, we've heard it called Dumpstable, Deadstable. Is it a bit harsh? I think what we're going to do at some point, maybe this week, we're going to send JD out to uh, Dunstable with the uh, lady we were speaking to a bit earlier on who helps promote Dunstable, and we'll see if she can sell it to him. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, here every weekday morning between six and nine. You can listen again on the iPlayer. You can download the new podcast. I'm number one on the iTunes chart in news and politics. News and politics, me? My mum would be so proud if she knew what a podcast was. She barely knows what news and politics are these days. But uh, if you want to, uh, to get the podcast, ep- episode one is out. They're going to come out every Friday. Uh, you go to iTunes and you type in Ian Lee, I-A-I-N-L-E-E, uh, BBC, and it'll pop up and you can subscribe to it. And thank you to everybody who has done and who's left very nice comments so far. In the last, last 30... Uh, that won't be in it. In the last 30 minutes of the show, we'll have more on the uh, EDL uh, contact details being given out and uh, also customer service. But before that... We've been talking about the Porter's Pilot Scheme. It's a year old. Uh, and that has got us on to talking about Dunstable. Coming for a bit of stick, Dunstable. We've heard the phrases Deadstable, Dumpstable. April's emailed in saying it is Dumpstable. Well, what do you think? Is that a bit harsh? We've got Glenn and we've got Peter. Morning, Glenn and Peter. Morning. Glenn, we'll start with you first. Uh, Dumpstable, Deadstable, a bit harsh or fair? Um, it's a bit unfair, I, I, I guess. What, what I said to to the girl who answered the phone was that all these uh, out-of-town shopping centres, for me, started in 1972. I uh, grew up when Carrefour opened uh, uh, their first store in Caerphilly and then the second one in Telford. And the Telford store, I know, was built after an open-cast coal mine uh, had been uh, done. And I think for the, for the local councils, it was a big income in one hit, and then after that, why would you go into town where you can't park, walking up the streets, getting wet through, when you could have a nice car park, walk into the store, and buy everything you want in that one building? And that's, that's what it is. It's all there under one roof. Peter, what, what do you roof. think? Do you, do you agree with Glenn? Well, I, I don't believe that the, 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 super, the superstores really matter much. What you've got to do is rene- regenerate what you've got. Your your town centres re- be, need be regenerating, and you can't do it by throwing a odd uh, music stage at, at something like Hatfield. Where I, I lived in Hatfield for many years, watched it deteriorate. First of all, the rents was being used as a cash cow from the shops, 
And now, what they should do, if they're going to have any money at all, they should put colourful stalls, start it looking a bit like a farmer's market, but they, they price themselves out a little bit, so don't price themselves out. The stalls, money from the grant, should be made... Uh, Use some of it should be used to make the stores minimal cost, and then you'll generate the footfall. And if you've got colourful awnings and plenty of, you'll get Peter. plenty of footfall, Peter. and it'll regenerate the shops as well. Peter Glenn has just put forward the argument about the uh, the, the, the shopping centres and the shopping malls and the out of town shopping centres. Colourful awnings—that's yeah. not really going to make a difference, is it? Well, it does because it, you've got colourful the atmosphere. awnings. You've got it the won't atmosphere. Make a difference, Ian. It, it won't, will it, Glenn? No, no, because because what Carrefour used to do, <coughs> excuse me, was when they bought product, they bought about five or six trailer loads of sugar. They would buy 20 tonne of baked beans from one manufacturer, right? And because it's only one transport cost, that brings the price of the product down. I also had a spell working for a wholesaler, and I know for a fact that the wholesale prices for this one company I worked for was still more expensive than what Carrefour could buy. But we're not just talking about food. Yeah, but Peter, it's everything. Everything is cheaper in these places. Clothes, books, videos. Ian, I have a weekend job at a a, a retail, electrical retailer. There's only one now, so you perhaps know who it is, okay? And you cannot go down the high street to buy a television and expect to get it at the price of what you can get in a, in, a, in a big electrical superstore. It's impossible. Yes, but you don't even try to compete with the large ones. What you do is you generate a footfall through the town centre by having stores that are cheap to run, cheap prices, and also it'll generate a footfall for the shops. Who's going to supply the, the cheap prices? Well, the cheap prices will come if they don't overcharge for the stores. Okay. Peter, listen, we, we have to end it there. I, I don't think a, a market stall is ever going to compete with a huge shopping centre or an out-of-town centre or the internet. But thank you, Peter, and, uh, and thank you, Glenn. Uh, Rob has texted in. He says, lots of businesses have come and gone over the years in Bedford. I remember the Bedfordshire Times of uh, March... Uh, sorry, the Bedfordshire Times of March 11th, 1966, which looks at 800 years of Bedford's charter. It said something like, many a time have our columns reflected discontent with the town of Bedford, deploring what is wrong with it and urging this and that should be done. That was 47 years ago. That's life. 08459 455 555. Speaking of life, a list of what appears to be the contact details of dozens of members of the Luton-based English Defence League has appeared online. It's been posted by people who say they're part of the computer hacking network known as Anonymous. Well, uh, Susanna Mendonca has more. Names and addresses of more than 200 men and women from all over the country are on the list. The post from a group calling itself Anonymous UK also includes the mobile telephone numbers of people it claims to be senior members of the English Defence League. It says the EDL should have expected this and warns it to expect more. The publication follows an audio message from Anonymous UK to the EDL yesterday that accused the far-right group of taking advantage of moments of fear and terror to spread hatred and animosity. Well, Kevin Warren is an IT security consultant, joins me now. Good morning, Kevin. Uh, good morning. What do we know about this group Anonymous? Uh, well, they're not, they're not a new group. They've pretty much been going uh, since uh, late 2000s. 
And and um, and what do they do? Are, they, are these the same people that, that attacked the FBI and various other organisations? Uh, part of the same group, yeah. Uh, it, so they're just like an online ha- uh, activist. So people that used to just stand outside buildings and uh, you know active, uh, demonstrate. They're doing it online now. They do it at home. And and who are they? Are, are they kids? Are they? Uh, uh, they can range from kids to pretty much uh, uh, pensioners, even. So it could be anybody that's got a grudge. It's a bit worrying about how good they are at hacking, isn't it? Is anything safe from them? Uh, Well, I think systems are pretty much inherently weak, so it's not hard for some people to access information. And because users are almost the weak link in security, they'll actually, uh, you know, someone sends them a link saying, look at this file or look at this document or picture, they'll click on it. And that's where the problems come in. What kind of repercussions could the uh, uh, details of the EDL being posted online have? Uh, well, I, I can't com- comment on that area, but from a security point of view, obviously it's pr- uh, personal information. So obviously that could have an effect on people's lives, I say. Kevin, I appreciate your time this morning. It's Kevin Warren, who's an IT security consultant. Um, 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh, no. text out am i this is disgusting this is the kind of people listening to this show disgusting people one of the constant themes in my life is wee wee bear with me i have a three-year-old son and if you've got if you've got boys it will be boys won't be girls if you've got boys that do this or did this how on earth did you stop them it's driving me nuts my three-year-old boy i've I've told this story before i'll tell it again the other day uh, having breakfast, 8 o'clock in the morning, Sunday morning, quite cold. He says, I'm going to go for a wee Sometimes when he's going for a wee he takes all his clothes off. Don't ask why. The toilet's right by the front door. He went off. Then you hear, sometimes he gets shut in the toilet. Dada! Dada finished! Do you want me to come and get you? Yes, please! So I went to the toilet. He's not in there. Where are you? I'm here. Come and get me. I can't see you. Where are you? I'm outside. Opened the front door. He stood there, completely naked, 8 o'clock, Sunday morning, having a wee in a bush. So this is his thing, he's weeing outside. Last night, we were watching um, Mr Maker. I, I'm going to go for a wee, Dad. OK, pause it. OK, pause it. And I watched where he was going, and he didn't go to the toilet. He ran outside. And I was out. I said, oi, right, you, get in, now. And we had a big standoff um, outside. Anyway, this led to Dennis and Dunstable calling in, saying his neighbour used to uh, catch his daughter's wee-wee and put it on the plants. It helped the plants. I think wee is poisonous for plants. Think it's, I think it's bad for them. Well, Sue in Welland Garden City has, uh, has texted in. She's really raised the stakes or lowered the standard. It depends on where your mind is at. This is what the show has turned into. My mum used to suffer badly with chillblains on her toes. She used to save her grandson's wee in a pot to soak her feet in. Believe it or not, it worked. Just read that again. My mum used to suffer with chillblains... She used to save her grandson's wee in a pot to soak her feet in. That is... That is bang out of order. I would get social services involved. And at what point, too, did your mum think, Oh, my feet are killing me. I, want, I wonder if little Johnny's wee will help. I want, could, so could you... Wait, next time he has a wee, put it in a bowl. I'm going to soak my feet in it. I don't know why. I just think it might have an effect on me. So disgusting. Beryl's in Hitchin. Morning, Beryl. Hello. What do you think about that disgusting story? 
No, mine isn't. Mine's a nice one. Okay, um, it doesn't involve you soaking any parts of your... Okay, good, yes. good, thank you. Uh, if you want to know no a, a successful town, come, yes. to, come to Hitchin. On, I went down on Saturday morning. Um, it was a really nice experience. There's a market, there was a farmer's market as well. Um, the high street was full of people. What were they, apart from the market, Beryl, what, what was Hitchin doing right that p- perhaps other places could learn from? Um, well, they've got... Uh, I, I know people t- say they're a nuisance, but they've got about eight or nine charity shops, and oh. people love going around those. But the market, of course, is quite an attraction. And they've got, you know, they've got quite nice um, sort of supermarket, grocery supermarket. I love... Iceland and... Uh, mm. um, uh, That's where, where else? Uh, a couple more. I uh, love a charity shop, Beryl. I'm nosy. I love a good rummage. I can often other find people do. Yeah, yes. I often find a good thing. But some people do say that having that many charity shops in one street can be detrimental to the street. Yeah, but it's not, and um, they aren't all. There's, there's a, you know, a variety. There's a dogs one. There's two, two um, um, uh, hospice ones. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're all different. Um, and what else was going to get closed down, they saved the children, about uh, six weeks ago. Yeah. And um, they got together, uh, and they got the uh, Hitchin Initiative gentlemen. And, uh, well, the reason they were going to close it was, the, you know, they wanted to put the rents up. Yes, we, I think we covered it on this show, actually. Yes, we Pardon? may have done. I think, we, I think we may have covered that on this yes, show. but uh, yeah. um, um, there's a notice on the door. Um, last week we are not closing, oh. they d- and they were getting the um, a shop for the rent. That's the trouble, the high it, rents, you it, know. It is a problem. Um, and they also now they have um, uh, free parking after three o'clock, which is uh, uh, quite a, a good idea, you know. Beryl, listen, we have to end it there because I have to go to the the travel and the news. Thank you very much in the, uh, for that. Well, Beryl says Hitchin is thriving. Now, we've been asking, if you get bad service, do you complain? What I do is um, I walk out tutting quietly, which is the same as if, you know, if you get bad service on eBay, you leave bad feedback. It's the same as tutting quietly in a shop. It has no effect whatsoever. Well, it seems more and more of us are complaining. The latest figure from the Financial Ombudsman Service show it's tackled about half a million new cases in the last 12 months, almost double the previous year. And the number of people aged over 65 using the services is rising significantly. Well, our reporter, Justin Dealey, has been in Milton Keynes this morning. I bet you're a right winger, aren't you? Oh, I love it. Absolutely love it. What was the last thing you complained about? Don't Um, say me. (laughs) You see, you're all mouth and no trousers aren't you? You wish. Quite, quite happy to be sitting in, in your studio, all local, all vocal, yes. take you out of the studio, and it's like, bad service. Yeah, should we just pay and go? Should we just well, pay and go? Well, I, I, I am going to complain. Yeah. We were supposed to have an interview with the woman about bad service, <laughs> yes, and the line broke, and then the woman disappeared. Oh, that she was She went fantastic. off into another room. I complained on Sunday, actually. Oh, um, yeah. I, I was outside of Bed Tarts and Bucks. I was in Brighton. I was on the seafront. Was this, Could, the, was this the day you went to a nightclub and they were playing My Sharona oh, by the m- night? M- my Sharona. Sharona. As soon as I got in there, I thought, yes, this is my sort of place. But um, I was on the front, and um, they simply weren't serving people. People oh. were saying, look, I've been sitting here for 30 minutes. You haven't even taken my order. They weren't handing out menus. And I heard the best line I've heard in a long time. Uh, we're doing our best, in a foreign accent. If you don't stay and wait, you go. 
it was as simple as that and they were just what so they got up and they walked off um the last time i seriously complained was about two years ago when i was in a restaurant and i said to somebody get the manager over i'm not paying for any of the food i'll pay for the drinks and you're lucky to get that and i'm off so that's what I did, and I went home and had a, a bowl of Frosties. <laughs> <laughs> you really are. You, you're borderline insane. You had, you, you had Frosties. Because <laughs> everyone you? was shut by that you, you didn't fancy any uh, crumpets or anything? Oh, I'm going to get myself a cheesy crumpet. It tastes really cheesy and good. <laughs> good. Um, no, didn't fancy a cheesy You've crumpet. You've been... You've been speaking to people this morning, haven't you? I have. I've been talking to them. I've been asking people if they would stay quiet, a bit like you, or whether they would complain, and this is what people had to say. Michael, if you received bad service, would you complain? Yes, I would complain. Yes, OK. When was the last time you complained? About two years ago. In a restaurant? restaurant. Yes, it was a restaurant. And what happened? Uh, Unfortunately, nothing happened, so (laughs) they just took my money and left. That was it. So all that happened was you got even angrier and then walked out? That's it. People seemed to be just grabbing the money. And not, not all about service, the customer service, They're all about the, the big profit at the end of it. Richard, you're a, a big Three Counties fan. Been listening to Ian this morning. He's been talking about customer service. Would you complain? No. Can you tell no. us why? I don't know. It's just not worth the embarrassment, is it? So even if the customer service in a restaurant or you've been away to a hotel, if it was really, really bad, you, you just simply wouldn't say anything? I'd just go out walk out. Just not worth the hassle? Not worth the hassle, no. Claire, what about you? You seem pretty feisty. Would you complain? Yeah, I would. Yeah? Yeah. And when you have complained, have you ever got anything back for, for doing so? Yeah, I, you get some sort of discount on your meal or something like that. But I think you've got every right to complain when you're paying for something. Does it happen quite often? Not very often. But it's, when you do it, it's worth doing it because at the end of the day, you're, you're earning your money. Now, madam, if you were in a restaurant, for argument's sake, and you received bad customer service, would you stand up for yourself and your rights? Would you do that? Yes, I would. Yeah. When was the last time you did it? It was about six months ago when I fell over in a supermarket and hurt my knee badly. And after writing a letter of complaint, they looked into it and I ended up with some money. Can I ask how much? It was £200. Okay, so it pays to complain then? It does indeed. Oh, I'm going to go falling over in <laughs> supermarkets. The last time I complained properly and saw it through mm. was years ago. It was in Camden, in uh, the cinema in Camden. I was watching Paranormal Activity. Oh, yeah, there's something to complain about. It what was, a terrible what film a that terrible was. terrible film. Yeah. Oh, the door moved. Yeah. That's the end. <laughs> right, and there was this girl at the back, and her mates, uh, these, these little girls, and they're on their mobile phones, and the lights were on their phones, and they were talking really loudly. And it went on ten minutes into it. I thought, I'm not having this. I'm not having this at all. So very, very loudly and very politely, but I said very loudly, excuse me, would you please shut the flip up? (laughs) And my wife looked at me and she went, oh my God, Ian, we're going to get get killed. And all you heard from the back was this little voice going, I'm really sorry. That was it, silence. Ah, it worked for you. But then I went and complained to the manager afterwards and he was having none of it. I said, I want my money back. No. So you should have someone in there keeping an eye on people. Yeah. They ruin the film. You should have some. No, I'm not going to give you your money back. Oh. I got my money back. Well done, you. It's quite interesting. When you get angry, you get a bit cockney, don't you? It's like, oi, love, turn your phone off, would you? Yeah. I quite like this cockney attitude. It's quite nice. It's, well, it's like a different side to It's you. close to you, isn't it? Common. Yes, common. Yes, yeah, common, yeah. I'm from Slough originally, so <laughs> in many ways we're, we're similar people. Yes, yes. Let's not go too far, though. Could yeah. you get me an egg roll on the way back? Um, I can do, uh, w- w- with sauce or anything like with that. With a little bit of the old, uh, red ketchup, yes, please. Yeah, red ketchup, no problem for you. Anything. Thank you, sir. Speak to you later on. That'd be lovely. I look forward to that. Uh, Carol's in St Albans. Good morning, Carol. Good morning, Ian. Are you a complainer? Yes. And what? I also ring and compliment. Ah, now that's the, the, the yin of the yang. Well done you. That's good. 
But have you ever rung a, a, a store or somewhere and asked for the manager and they say, um, I think he's, what's it about? You know, they're absolutely terrified you're going to mm. complain. I bet they are. I've and done that. I've done that in shops. If I've been getting excellent service above and beyond, and yeah. then someone in authority comes over or, or is visible, I will say. By the way, that lad you've got there—he's brilliant. Keep him. Yes, yes, yeah. No, I, I wrote. I, I wrote a letter um, to one shop that I went to because I was so impressed with the service. But I also, and I, I've boycotted the, the shop since. I used to go sort of. Um, I was a regular occasional visitor, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, we go up north, and there was a shop I always frequented when we went up there. And I went in one day, and the woman looked at her watch while she was serving me, so I put everything down on the counter and walked out. I complained, I wrote, I rang, and I emailed. And I, I won't go back in the shop. Oh, she, what, she just looked at her watch? Yeah. To check the time. And the, ex- the, the excuse was, well, she was on medication and it was due to be taken. In the, if that was the case, Sorry. she should have said to me, um, excuse me, do you mind, I must take my tablets. And I wouldn't wow. have minded. Carol, thank you very much indeed. Don't never check your watch in front of Carol, otherwise there will be letters of a complaint to your boss. Carol, thank you very much indeed. I hate it when you go in the shops or petrol stations and they're on the phone. And they don't even look at you. Hello? Put the phone down, I'm here. High Streets. JVS will be talking about High Streets after nine, but we've been talking about Dunstable. Uh, is it Dumpstable? Deadstable? Is that a bit harsh? Pete's in Stopsy. Morning, Pete. What's your take on Dunstable? Well, my take is more on hitching, really. I have okay. to disagree, disagree with what that lady said earlier, because if you within a hundred yard stretch in, Dun- in uh, Hitchin, there are at least a dozen empty shops. Well, she seemed to think that, that Hitchin was wonderful with the farmer's market, with the eight charity shops, I think two for children, one was for dogs, and I'm, I'm assuming there was a cancer one in there somewhere. She seemed to think it was thriving. Well, that seems to be Charity Row going back round towards the back of the church. They've now got plans down in Hitchin. I mean, I live in Stopsley, and I only shop in Hitchin because I find it more more of a comfortable place to go rather than Luton. Um, they've now got plans to knock down this old ugly church gate centre and build more shops there. Well, I agree with the old luxury Harpenden Bear on this. They need to build houses there because people can then nip out to the local shop, mm. provide more trade, and then they won't have to travel then. And it's just as easy to go out the door and nip to a shop, but they don't need more shops down there. They need to fill up the shops they've got and knock down the old centre and build houses there instead. Pete, have you ever soaked your feet in wee-wee? No, but no, not a very good idea, though. I'll tell you what, though, it'd be a good idea to get JVS to do a, uh, a test on it, wouldn't it? A consumer test. Do, do, do you know what, Pete? That is an excellent idea, and I'm going to su- suggest that to him later. I, I'm going to suggest that Jonathan Vernon-Smith does a, a, a whole hour of his consumer show with his feet in a bowl of wee-wee as suggested by Pete and Stopsley, and I will happily contribute to that. Wendy in Hearts has texted in. This is the level... I'm number one in news and politics. I can't read out texts about wee-wee, for goodness sakes. Wendy in Hearts says, Ian, it's true about soaking your chill blains in wee. Oh, dearie me. Right, that's it. I'm back tomorrow. Don't forget, you can download the podcast from iTunes. Search for Ian Lee and BBC. Uh, back tomorrow at six. Do stay tuned, though, because coming up next, it's the excellent We Free JVS. See you tomorrow. Ta-ta. On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. What an introduction. Good morning. <laughs> Welcome to the JVS show.